What's up? This is Ralph Trezvan. You're listening to Reviews and Done with my dude, Derek Dunn. Keep it locked, fam. What's going on, world? It's your boy, Derek Dunn with Reviews and Done on a rainy Tuesday night here in the DMV. I have the honor of speaking with one of my Facebook friends and an awesome musician, Mr. Lawrence Well. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Bless, brother. Can't complain. You know, it's been a um, it's been a trying time with the um, with the COVID virus going on. But on the plus mm-hmm. side, you know, it's giving me time to do some soul searching and giving me time yeah, to there you um, go. really research and get my interviewing skills up to par and you mm-hmm. know just keep on chasing this uh, dream. So I know that you well, have a lot to talk even... about. So. I wouldn't even say that you're chasing, man. It's just about, you, you said everything correct. It's, it's all about taking this time and using it wisely. God knows what he's doing, and people don't even see and understand that. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I know, that was like, I know you got a lot to say, so let's just go ahead and um, get to it. And I'm looking forward to some uh, jewels you're going to drop on me and my listeners. So first mm-hmm. up is um, growing up in Brooklyn, I'm sure that you were very privy to hip-hop go- to hip-hop's golden age. Absolutely. Was there a hip hop oh, yeah. moment in your childhood that you would consider iconic that you had a chance to experience firsthand? Um, yeah, that's crazy that you even mentioned that because the I think it's the very first time that I heard the message by, by Melly Mel and Furious Five and Grandmaster Flash. You know, that was the first spark and then as I'm listening to that, um my uncle um, showbiz Taylor, he was already hanging out with Kumo D and those guys in the Bronx because he was rapping himself. So that became the hip hop moment because he would come to, to Brooklyn to come and, and when he learned that I wanted to rap in addition to my singing and everything else, he started working with me. But then, of course, he wasn't always around. So then once I discovered Run DMC and the Fat Boys, and then I started breakdancing, I got into that, you know, through the movie Breaking and B Street, that became like the most pivotal moments where I knew that hip hop was going to be part of my repertoire because it was the culture that represented, you know, my generation at that time for everything. So those are the moments I remember the most. And then, of course, once I started getting serious with the with the rhyming, like for real, for real, then the golden age era happened where, you know, five of my top five MCs of all time pretty much came out around the same time and really had a strong influence on me. So, yeah, definitely. What was the inspiration behind your Planet 12 movement? Um, the combination of, of a few things, but pretty much to, to narrow it all down, um, my love for science fiction music, well, science fiction rather, not science fiction music, but science fiction and music. You know, I'm, I'm a huge Trekkie, Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, my favorite writer is Carl Sagan. I was into the cosmos and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you know, people don't realize that DC and Marvel Comics, that was basically fun science for all those kids, for all of us kids that didn't want to read about stuff in, in school or whatever, even though I love science in school. But compare a science textbook to um, a Spider-Man comic book where he gets bit by a radioactive spider. He was a scientist. So it's almost like... I learned all that stuff, and then I just combined my love for all those things with humor in between and the fact that there's music. So there are 12 notes in music, and 12 is my favorite number, and L is the 12th letter in the alphabet, which is pretty much, um, you know, L-A-W, my, the first three letters of my name. So I just created Planet 12 because everybody always be like, Lord, you're on your own planet, man. You know, the fact that you listen to hip-hop, 
heavy metal, rock and roll, jazz, funk, and R&B. You listen to all kinds of music. Like you're truly on your, on your own planet because around that time, not a lot of black kids from Brooklyn were really into being that diverse. You know, you only, in my hood, for the most part, you only had two kinds of music, old school, new school R&B, or hip-hop. But for some of us other kids who dared to be different and was into everything else, you know, I, I wanted to explore that. I was being pulled in two different directions. You know, my, my mother's friends, they always would tell me, Lord, we love the way you sing. Why are you doing that rapid stuff? Because you know how it was. Hip-hop wasn't really... In the beginning, the very beginning, to, to to the older black folks and older white folks, it was nothing but noise. It was a fad. It wouldn't last but a year. What is this junk these kids are listening to? So I had that opposition. And then there's my peers on the other side. Hey, Lord, yo, you lo- we love the way you rhyme. Why are you doing that singing stuff for? So I got tired of pull- being pulled in two different directions. So I just basically said, F that. I'm going to do all styles of music. I'm going to sing. I'm going to rap. I'm going to dance. And I'm going to play instruments. And that's exactly what I did, but so I had all this talent, didn't know how to package it, and then I discovered an album by Parliament called The Mothership Connection, and that changed everything because George Clinton and, and P-Funk showed me how to market and package all this talent, but it was such a different playing field that I have, and the rest is history. I understand that you come from a very musical family. Who was the first musician you can recall meeting that was famous? Outside of my family or, or, or yes, in my family? No, just outside, outside of, of my family. family. Outside of my family, hmm, that's a great question. I got to think about this now. That's a really good question. Who was the first one that I met? Um, I'm going to say, because this is hard, because I was trying, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to say this. The first one I met was the legendary great, Albert Collins, my grandfather's friend, legendary blues musician. They, they call him the master of the Telecaster. For those that know um, about blues music, then you know who Albert Collins is. You know, him and my grandfather were, were very, very good friends, but he became the first celebrity, quote-unquote, I met because as many may know him, he was in a movie called Adventures in Babysitting where he played the guy on stage, and when Elizabeth Shue was trying to run from these criminals, they ran into a club, and she tried to get off stage, and he was like, no one can leave here until they sing the blues. So Wait, many people know him from that. Yeah, so many people know him from that. But this was a man that yeah, I came to had on the, one day. Yeah, he had on the red suit in the movie and just had yeah. that swag mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, no, he was really that cool. Like, that was really him. So I came home one day from school. I was going to school in Arizona at the time, living with my grandfather, and there he was sitting on top of an amplifier, um, drinking tequila and playing guitar with my granddad. And my granddad was like, yeah, that's my grandson, Albert. He just like you. He don't play with a pick either because I'm known for not playing with a pick. And, and when I saw Albert Collins play the way he played without using the pick, which is the correct way for people that really want to play, you know, guitar, um, he's, like, he's like, that's okay. You see me, I'm the master telecaster. And you don't have to play with a pick. Just keep doing what you're doing, son. And from that day forth, it changed my life forever. So he's the first celebrity I definitely met, like, up front. Then, years, of course, after years later, I would run into a whole bunch of other people who would inspire my world in, in some sort of way or another as a famous celebrity or artist. One of your many talents is your guitar playing skills. We all know that Prince is one of your influences. Who else mm-hmm. has a slot in your top – who else has a slot in your top five for guitar players? Mm. Ah, okay. Well, mm. <laughs> this is a, I've seen this. I've seen this question on the internet before, so they ask me this one a lot. Um, of course, you know, 
Prince definitely is in that top five without question. Um, Eddie Hazel from Parliament Funkadelic. Um, Ernie Isley, definitely, from the Isley Brothers. Um, Angus Young from ACDC. Uh, mm, ooh, um, I'm going to say to round out that particular phrase would definitely be um, all-around guitar players, um, without question, Al McKay from Earth, Wind & Fire. Um, and probably one of the bigger influences on my style as a rhythm guitar player um, J- Jimmy Jimmy Nolan from um, James Brown's band because he's the inventor of what we call the funk chords. So it's like that. It's a combination of all those things because you know I, I'm I'm a lead guitar player, but I'm also a rhythm guitar player too. So when I do when I do a top five of that list, I had to separate it at one point. So I figured the list that I just gave you was a special one. But I tried to mix it up to to show you guys who can also play some dangerous lead, but they but they also play dangerous rhythm too. So those are the guys I tend to to study the most. Yeah, you know, the thing about – I'm going to go off track real quick. The thing about top five questions, it's always tough to um, narrow it down, especially when you're overly passionate about something because stuff – I know for me as a, yes. um, as, a, as, a, as a film connoisseur, it's like, you know, I like so much and, you know, I see stuff differently. So one day, you know, you might like one thing, and the next day, you know, it could change to um, something else. It's like for me when people oh, ask yeah. me, like, you know, what's a classic album – and I'm like, you know, well, classics, <laughs> classics can be different for everybody because with a classic, it doesn't mean that every single song hits. You know, you can have an album mm-hmm. that's like, you know, 30-plus songs. It can be a classic, but not every song is going to register as a classic song, but the bulk of the album is enough for it to be considered, you know, a classic album. It's like the Wu-Tang's Forever. It's a double CD. And even some well, of the, 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 the iHeart Wu-Tang fans I know, they'll say it's like, I love it to death, man, but it's a classic. But there's like one or two songs that I'll skip from time well, to time. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, like I say often on my Facebook page, um, and you know this, it's very subjective. I think for anybody, when you group classic albums, I don't know if you have been keeping up with me in the last couple of months, but I've been putting like my top 15, 16 oh, yeah. of my favorite albums from a certain artist. And the thing is that I always, yep. I'm very detailed in my posts where I break it down to where I tell people, this, these are the albums I listen to the most. It doesn't mean that one album, yeah. you know, and people are doing it anyway. They'll be like, what about this? Um, well, if that's your top five, go to your page and post it. That's not in my top, yeah. it's not in my top 15. When I put my top 15, I mean that these are albums I listen to from front to back, not just one or two songs or even the ones that may not have been as popular. I'm a lot of those kids. So I grew up I grew up in the era of you put the needle on the record anywhere and something's going to pop off. And that that's the kind of culture I grew up in, being around a bunch of musicians for family and family who had friends that worked in each other's bands because I was always introduced to the album. Even though the radio was on, like any other typical kid, I listened to the radio, you know, 98.7 Kiss in New York and things like that. But once the radio got turned off, I had nothing but albums and cassettes. So for me, it was like I can listen to the songs that they're not playing on the radio. I mean, one of my overall favorite classic albums of all time is um, Shaka Khan's What You Gonna Do For Me because from front to back, the orchestration, the vocal arrangements, the, the sick rhythm section that she had on that, her phrasing, everything about Shaka, that's my number one favorite female singer. But that one album right there was an album I can listen to to this day in 2020 from front to back 
where I can, I'm still influenced by it. Like even to this day, it still gives me chills as it did when I was a kid listening to it in, in the 80s. So it's like, it, it really, you know, those are records I consider to be classic albums. They still resonate with me in that way, even though I'm a grown man now. But I, it takes me back to me being that kid sitting in front of the record player, listening for every wail that she's going to do, listening for every bass hit that Anthony Jackson's going to play, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. So, you know. Yeah, and we're getting, we're getting a little bit deeper into that, but just to piggyback off what you're um, what you're saying, um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a military vet, you know, and I was in the Air Force, and when I was hey. overseas, when I was overseas, you know, I was a DJ for the mm-hmm. club and everything, and one of the things that I one of the things that I used to pride myself on was um with my with my with my playing style was I would always try to avoid just playing the stuff you hear on the radio or stuff that you know people knew because. Mm-hmm. I would look at it as a, I would look at it as a numbers game. So I would say, all right, let's take an album like Nas's um Nas's second album um, it was written. So mm-hmm. if that if that album sold two million copies, right, and you have thirty three hundred people you know, that, that that album sold two million copies, you have let's say on a good night, four hundred people in the club, the ratio mm-hmm. of four hundred the ratio of four hundred people to two hundred to two million sold is enough to where you can play an album track and enough of the crowd is going to know it to where they'll feel you. You don't got to play this was on the radio, especially for, like you were saying, these classic albums, older stuff, because back in the day you had to listen to the entire album. Artists would just give you, you know, an album worth of material. It wasn't just about having one hit single just to sell push. Like, you know, the entire album would go. So, yeah, that's, that's, mm-hmm. I, I like that you said that. All right, so let's keep moving. Yeah, yeah. You had a chance to work with Amy Winehouse and her band. Had Amy not mm-hmm. passed away, where do you think she would be musically right now? Um, Still killing it, pretty much. I mean, you know, Amy was such a different kind of artist. I mean, she's been here before, musically speaking, even though she was young in her age. But, you know, she reminded me a lot of myself in terms of her um, eclectic taste and all-around diversity in terms of music. That's actually what led me to want to work with her when they first offered me the, the job as being a, a background singer because I wanted to check her out first. At that point in my career, I had worked with so many people. And I ain't going to lie, I was very picky about it because I didn't, you know, I didn't work with Shaka Khan, Freddie Jackson. I didn't work with a bunch of people at that point. And I'm like, okay, who's this new artist they're they talking about? I had never heard of her at that point. And, I'm, and I was surprised, and I'm usually up on everything. So I told him I'll get back to you, and I did my research. And once I came across a couple of her songs, one of them in particular was called FB Pumps from the first album, because people think that Back to Black was her first album, but no, it was just the biggest one in her more of an American debut. But her first album was called Frank. And once I saw that video and saw what she was about and, and the musical expression, saw all the influences that she embodied, I called them back, was like, I will absolutely sing back up behind this girl. Because I knew. I knew just how dope she was. I appreciated it. I appreciated our time. So I would say in 2020, if she was still here, she would be making more records or probably spacing out more. So when I say spacing out, meaning that, um, you know, the one thing she told me a, a while back, I remember we, would, we had just finished David Letterman, um, you know, our infamous David Letterman performance and show, and I was so hyped off the album that I had been listening to it for a whole week, and I loved the whole damn album. And I asked, I said, so Amy, man, I said, are you already writing stuff for the next one? 
and she looked at me and was like, eh, I don't know. You know, I got a few songs that can, but Lord, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not very ambitious. I, I'd rather be home. So I know for a fact that she would definitely be pulling a shot day at this point. You know what that means. She would put out a record yeah. like every other two years. or But she still got stuff in the can that's going to be released. She got, she got a few things that she had recorded over the course of time. But she, you know, her words really rang true to me because, of course, you know, some years later, you know, she would end up leaving us. But um, it, it's really, you know, she, if she was still here, it, it would be just like that. It would be her spacing in between. Since the COVID breakout, Instagram battles have become the latest trend. Is there a particular battle you would like to see? Ah, <laughs> you got the best questions, bro. I mean, uh, ooh. Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. Before I give you who I think would be that, it's a weird scenario that we're looking at these days because, you know, I understand it's all for the good of the culture, and I've always promoted that. Yeah. And understanding the laws of battle, because I'm a battle MC, so I know all about that. If you're going to battle with something, come at your best. But I feel like, if anything, there should be more talk of collaboration as opposed to let's battle against each other. Now, like I said, I understand the positivity in it, so I'm not getting all up in arms about it. But I would, I would like to see, like, I would like to see Babyface and Teddy Riley actually work on a dual project together. That's that's on purpose because they worked with Bobby Brown on, on the same two albums that that he was known for, but they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. It would be dope to see them actually work on something together but you know who knows if it'll ever happen I, I highly doubt it but at the same time it's like it would be good to see but a battle that I would like to see if if I had my choice would be um uh I would have to say uh what's this guy um shoot um <laughs> that that's an uneven battle I'm not gonna even say that one because that wouldn't even make any sense um I would definitely have to say if Luther was still living, I would like to see Luther and Freddie Jackson do a battle. That would be an awesome battle because these guys had classics that reigned supreme and, and different, if he was still alive. And then I would say for people who were still living, um, cooling the gang against Earth, Wind & Fire. I think that would be amazing because those are two of the, the, the greatest funk bands that achieved a lot of mainstream success more than their peers and contemporary. They're like the top two in terms of um, – like hits and all that kind of stuff. They had they had classic funk jams that were for the underground, but they also had a lot of colossal pop records that broke the mold. So that would be actually that would be a battle I would love to see. That would be the main one, Earth Wind and Fire versus Cool and the Gang. I think that'd be a great battle. Yeah, I think for me, mine just from a, from a production standpoint, just like for the culture, and just so people can get real familiar with what they've done is um, I'd like to see the underdogs take on Tim and Bob. Because I, I don't Ooh, think, like, you know, the average yeah, person, yeah. I don't think That's the average person one. knows, like, you know, stuff that they've done and just yeah. see, see them go of hit, course, of course we, hit for hit. Of course we know. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, you know, that would be a good battle. And it would be one of those to where you'd have to really think about, kind of like with Face and Teddy Riley, mm -hmm. like, who's going to mess up? Because, like, you know, as you and I talked <laughs> with other people outside of things, Teddy's problem was off the record, you know, I don't think Teddy was properly – prepared for the battle. He kind of took it maybe lackadaisical. Like, yeah, like a, not a lazy, well, a bit lazy per se, because you're like, you know, watching you, you know, live comment, like, you know, why is Teddy playing that? Like, you know, when he could have came with something else and he saw a face was really taking it serious, but it was still laid back. He was still having 
fun, but I'm like, you it, know, to, to have, yeah, violence. but it, it's, it's, it's a two-way two street, bro, because, again, you know, and I said it in my comments, so I'll say it again, and I have absolutely no fear because <laughs> I'm, I'm a realist. The bottom line was yeah. that Teddy went about it the wrong way, and that's and he and he yeah. knows that because otherwise he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have came back the way he did. He came back, okay, now I realize I have to simplify because you know at some point you got to remember everybody can have opinions, but the majority opinion everybody can't be wrong. So you got to look at it from an angle as to where if everybody's telling you like. Ted, you're doing way too – everybody said it. Even Swiss, even the guys who created Versus, Swizz and Tim was like, yeah, bro, you're doing, you're doing way too much. Just keep it, keep it simple. This is not rocket science. And then when you finally keep it simple, you're still having issues towards the middle of the battle where you actually had a good haymaker defense point of view because, you know, Teddy was coming with some stuff. But as I no called it from the very beginning when the battle first got announced, I said first and foremost – I love both of them. That's why I said not no – who I love more than the other. It can never be that because both of those guys are partly responsible for the producer writer I am today. So it's almost like I can't say, well, I'm going to that. No, the whole bottom line was that I already said it from the get-go. I said, we're talking catalog because tastes are suggestive. If you want aggressive R&B, I would go to Teddy Riley. If I want mid-tempo but still have an aggression but smooth R&B, I'm going to go with Babyface. So it's subjective. But if we're talking about catalog, extensive catalog and diversity on all forefronts. Teddy Riley had nothing for Babyface to begin with. And it's like that part proved it. When he pulled out the acoustic guitar and did When Can I See You Again, which is something that I love Teddy, but that's something that Teddy can't do. Teddy could just play piano and sing through a vocoder or, um, or a talk box. Babyface can pull out a guitar and just be straight raw with it. And, and Teddy was nervous. He was staggering. He, was, he didn't know which way to turn. And then he went away, tried to play the I Get So Lonely remix. And I'm like, dude, that's a remix. You did not write that song. We're doing songs that y'all wrote and produced, not songs that you remix. And, and you said, is Babyface at the shade <laughs> comment of the year? He was like, I don't do remixes. He's like, well, what? So even people were trying to pull a point. But what is this? It says L.A. Reid. I said, well, L.A. Reid was more the production guy in, in, in the team of him, Daryl Simmons, and Babyface. So anytime you saw a remix of a Babyface song, it would say the L.A. Reid remix, not Babyface remix. Babyface wasn't that, he wasn't that type of dude. They did, did an album called a remix album. I said, yeah, but he didn't do the remix. And they put that out to capitalize on the fame that he had with Tender Lover. So it still doesn't count. Like, he's not going to sit there and play a remix of a song. He's going to play you everything that he wrote and produced in the studio, whether it was by himself or whether it was, or whether it was with his team. That's it. So, yeah, sorry about that. But I had to yeah. let that part breathe a little bit because people get it twisted sometimes, and everybody was trying to make it and trying to make excuses for te- – and then, then all of a sudden you have more technical difficulties. I'm like – and, and I'm going to say it, he didn't want to, Teddy didn't want to go back in there. When he was trying to get back in, the, in the, um, the chat with him and vice versa, I said, no, I'm going to believe that Teddy did that on purpose because there's just no way in the world. Now all of a sudden you can't get in? Nah, bro. You wasn't having that issue before. So that's my take on it. And, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I just, I'm just looking at it from that angle. And, of course, no love lost against Teddy Riley. He's going to all, he created a genre of music, he created new Jack Swing, and we can never take that away from him. It was great for the culture, but I have to remind people, this is a battle. When you're battling, no, you have to come with all the right tools. <laughs> hey, you, you keep it on 100. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I want to interview you and why I wanted to talk to you because, like I always tell you, you know, just, just from you know, commenting on Facebook or whatever, you can have an opinion 
And, like, you'll say something, yeah. and, you know, I'll respond, but I'll respond, like, respectfully. And I'm like, you know, don't ever apologize for having an opinion, especially when you have mm-hmm. facts to back it up and you're looking at it from that standpoint. And for me, as a DJ, as a former DJ, and, you know, as a music, as a music buff, like, I know what Teddy could have played that were hit Thank you. to go along mm-hmm. to, to go along with that. I'm like, I'm like, yo, Teddy, you man, you didn't play Jane Child, you didn't play you know, Kane, you didn't play, you know, you didn't play no cool Modi. And these are well known these are well known records. Songs. And that you know, they were and, hits. And, that you want awards by the off way, of. I, I, by the way, I, I want to say this to you. Um, thank you so much for saying what you just said because for so long, I mean you've been following me for a minute, so you know for so long, I don't know what it is about when law states an opinion that gets people in such an uproar. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I've been criticized for, for so long on social media when, when I speak on this shit, but then I always tell people, you know, if you're going to hear the truth, why not hear it from a young OG industry vet that got credentials? And I'm going to keep it real with you. If my music wasn't good, if my reputation wasn't good, and if I didn't have a platinum resume, nobody would give a damn about what I have to say. Let's keep it honest. So at the end of the day, thank you and a lot of other people for appreciating my opinion on things. And you said it best, because I've always been that way. If I wasn't doing music, I would be a boxer or I would be a lawyer, especially a lawyer, because the whole point is that even back then as a teenager, my thing was if we're going to talk, let's talk truthfully. And I've always been the kind of person where we can have opinions all day, but if you don't have the facts to support your opinion, it's all in the wash. I mean, you can still have your opinion even after the fact is done, but at the end of the day, nobody's going to argue with a fact, especially when it has a receipt attached to it. <laughs> when you know how they say, now I got receipts, when you got receipts attached to it, nobody can argue. They can sit there and talk all the, the ish they want, but at the end of the day, the facts do not lie. And I've had to defend myself on different occasions, and you know, people would always have things to say about me because they would just be like, well, why is he saying this? You know, and I, of course, the majority rules because, you know, my, my fans love it. That's actually how most of my fans got into my music because I was, com- I was doing commentary on a lot of these award shows, and they would hit me up and like, Law, I said the same exact thing. So basically I'm giving – I'm only doing what people do in their living rooms when they're watching these shows because they call them BS the way I see BS, but they're going to hear it more from me because I'm in the music industry. I'm not, I'm not some retired guy that fell off or had a record deal and lost. I, didn't, I, I don't have that, that typical story. So when they see the credentials of who I worked with, plus they see the talent, because you've seen the clips, I'm nothing to play with. I, I take this thing very seriously. So when I have an opinion, I feel like if you want to listen to anybody, <laughs> listen to somebody who's yeah. worked with the best, who's been cited by the best, who's been put to the test on every playing field there is, and speak on it. And it's not arrogance or conceit. It's just simply the truth. So thank you for acknowledging that. I really appreciate you for even saying that to me. Thank you. Oh, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, man. It's like, you know, like, you'll comment something or anybody will comment something. And, you know, I, I used to kind of be that same way, like saying somebody, and I don't, I, I don't hold any punches either, and I'll kind of say something is trash or it's garbage or speak whatever. Like, you know, I'm brutally honest. But mm-hmm. I'll usually back it up with uh, – with the piggyback of it's not for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the attendant audience. And, you know, usually mm-hmm. I'll try and check everything out before I post a comment or before I, you know, post a reply. Like a prime example is Eminem. I'm not a big Eminem fan. I never have been. However, mm-hmm. I don't downplay his talent and I don't downplay mm-hmm. what he's done. 
but I, I'm I'm just not a fan. It's like I I, I have Absolutely. his entire album collection, but I don't find myself driving around on a daily basis when I could drive listening to Eminem. He's very talented, mm-hmm. uberly talented. Deserves all his awards, but he's not in my top ten mm-hmm. though. Absolutely. That's and see that's and I was gonna say, see, that's an opinion that I highly respect. Because look what you just said. People were basing opinions and saying things like, Oh, he can't rap. Now the thing is that to be subjective is somebody can't rap because nobody gets as far as he did or any whether black or white or Hispanic, whatever, you have to have some type of talent to get that far. But if it's not your thing, it's just not your thing. And I always that's why I always when I talked about Eminem, I always said if you weren't a fan from the beginning this don't apply to you because some people just like what they like. And I can, I can respect that opinion. That's a highly – see, you're, you're better than most because a lot of people just want to hate on him to hate on him, and they don't really have no reason that they want to use the whole black and white thing. And I'm just like, that's, that's, a, that's a moot point at, the, at, at that particular point. I'm like, because it doesn't matter what a person's skin color is. If you've got talent and you're dope, you're just that dope. Now, you may not be the cup of tea of somebody else's top ten hip-hop list, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean, like you said, he said, well, the boy got talent. He can rhyme for sure. I'm, I'm just not into his music. That's an opinion I respect. I, the same opinion you have about Eminem is the same opinion I have about the Dave Matthews band. All those guys are great musicians, but I simply, and, and I try, trust me, I, I, anything I get, I, I get caught on to or people put me on to, I'll listen for the first five or ten minutes. I'll make my decision within within those ten minutes. If I'm liking it, if I'm digging it, or if I like certain songs, or if I like certain things. You know, I used to get criticized. You know, like, black people looked at me with the googliest eyes when I told them that I only like a few maids featuring Frankie, Frankie Beverly songs. I said, I was not, I'm not the biggest, I said, I love certain songs that they've done. Of course, they have some great songs, but I don't, they're not in my top ten, and I, and I totally hate when people try to write them, write them off as, as a funk band. I'm like, uh, no, they, they had funky moments, but they're not a funk band. It's, it's, a, it's such a difference. And, you so, know, that's a whole other topic by itself. But the thing was just that we have, we have our opinions. And I've always said to people, when people ask me why, I'm able to articulate and tell. And that's why a lot, a lot of people don't like me either, because I'm very detailed about why I don't like something. They're never going to be like, well, I just don't like them. I just don't like, like people. I said, that's not a good enough excuse. You have to tell me what you don't like about them and not – try to just use that as a front because, to me, that's just – if you don't like somebody just because you don't like somebody, that's a definition of a hater, in my opinion. That's a hater. If you didn't take the time to listen to what they were doing, and like I told people, I said, the musicians in the Dave Matthews Band, they're great musicians. Those guys are awesome. I've seen some of their side projects and things that they've done outside of Dave Matthews, but Dave Matthews as a whole, I, I, just, I just could not get into. That's it. You know, no, no, no harm, no foul. If that's what you like. Go for it, but I'm I'm not into it. So that's it. Dope. All right. So this next question is um one that I've been waiting to get your opinion on. Um, so speak freely. Mm-hmm. I know it's, I know it's not gonna hold no punches, and that's what I was looking forward to. So go for speak it. Speak freely. Let it all out and get it out. Get it all out there. All right. I so will. Following social media for for years, I know it's gonna hold any punches. That being said, you work with the Prince camp. Recently, CBS mm-hmm. aired a special that you were upset with. How do you how do you feel the special should have been improved? Now, before you answer, I'm going to tell you my 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 whole spiel as an average. Go man. for it. Now, mm-hmm. I think what the Prince Grammy tribute. I think the key word was CBS Grammy tribute. With that being said, I think that they were trying to 
go for the mainstream, most knock on wood, vanilla approach to it as possible <laughs> and get those numbers in and not really focus on what Prince was kind of about. I mean, that's how I saw it now. I don't think the whole thing was trash, but some of it, yeah. Like John Legend, <laughs> loving the death. I'm, 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 I'm a huge John Legend fan. But John Legend had Mr. no business. Mr. Vibrato. <laughs> you know, that song that he sang, because that song in itself is hard for anybody to sing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Nothing Compares to You is probably one of the hardest songs of, of Prince's to cover by anybody. Like, it's And it's being done too much, in my opinion. But go ahead. <laughs> so the fact, the fact that John Legend sang that song was like, dude, like, why would you do that? Now, I want to get your opinion as somebody who's no, who's worked with the Prince camp. How could that entire special been better had they actually done it the right way to give us Prince's vibe? Well, here's the first thing. <laughs> you know, I, I've spoken about this. I'm, I'm saying it live in, in this interview. The first thing that we got to remember is that we're dealing with an extensive legacy of a man whose music knew no boundaries, a man who reinvented himself with every album that he put out, a man that got bored so quickly that he can easily um, um, disintegrate a band that he was working with for four years and then come up with a new band with the next three albums. You're talking about a man that covers four decades, if not more. My thing is, and I don't know who's in charge. I don't know who did what. I'm not pointing any fingers, but I'm going to say this. When you're doing a salute to Prince, especially when we're talking about the Grammys, in my opinion, they should have sat down with more thought and said, you know what? Let's run the gamut. Let's not just stay in the 80s because people, and that's the problem, even though, of course, Prince's dominance was in the 80s, but Prince's dominance lasted past the 80s and even past the 90s. And my thing is that if you're going to do a tribute to the man, I believe that every artist that contributed to, to his success, whether they were musician, singer, model, you should make it the extensive part of his legacy. That's why I said very boldly. Thank God that Sheila was there. Thank God the revolution was there. Thank God, of course, Mars at the time was there. But where was Liv Warfield? Where was New Power Generation? Where's Shelby J? Where's Elisa Ferrillo? You know, like these are certain things you have to ask yourself. Where are all these other people? Apollonia should have had a seat at least. You know, these are different things. You know, where's Jill Jones? Like, these, these, are, these are people who are instrumental. And I've always said that whether they were the least successful or the most successful, everybody who's had something to do with Prince's success or popularity should be in a tribute show if you want to make it an interesting one. Because honestly, truth be told, if, if CBS and the Grammys would have had all of those acts who I just mentioned that all worked with Prince, it would have been – you, th- you thought the ratings were high on this one? It would have been even bigger because that's the whole point is unity. I, I believe that Prince's death was more of a call to say, you know what, forget about all the past beasts, forget about all the stupid things that happened, much of which Prince created. That's another story. But the whole point is that I believe that where he is right now, he's not even thinking like that anymore. I'm thinking he's looking at it like, y'all guys need to all come together and continue – this thing that even though it was under my name and I created and I brought a lot of y'all together, 
now this is your turn to, to make things happen and to do and to capitalize off of your legacy, be it on the, the underground part of it or even on the mainstream part of it. Because I agree with what you just said. You said um, that it was definitely, yeah, I, saw, I, I automatically saw that. It was created to cater to the, the mainstream part of it, and I, it was too obvious for me. That's why certain acts, I'm like, I could have kept those guys off the stage if you would have asked me, or you could have kept that person or whatever the case may be. And I made my opinion pretty much known of who I thought was dope and who I thought sucked. So it's not like I'm going to, you know, and I have a right to my opinion. I've been, I've been in the Prince camp for some time now, and I have a right to my opinion. It's not because I'm I'm not throwing no shade or hate. It's just for me, I just would, if you're going to talk about a tribute, if, if I have my way and a lot of other diehard Prince fans or any musicians or artists that were influenced by him, they feel the same way I do. And if you look at the, um, the post that I posted up that night, I have more people agreeing with what I said than less people. So that's how I know I'm on the right track. I say I'm speaking for how people feel that feel just like I do. I'm like, if you want to make this a real Prince tribute, everybody should be on that stage at one point or another. It would have been dope to see the family get together and do Screams of Passion. You know, it would have been dope to see Maserati do 100 miles an hour. <laughs> You know what I mean? And this is for diehard Prince fans. I'm not talking about Prince fans who got stuck in Purple Rain and never went past that. I, yeah. I don't even acknowledge them fans. So for me, it's like people who know the history, people who know about the Minneapolis sound. You know, Andre Simone, why Andre Simone is not there? If it wasn't for Andre Simone, there would be no Prince or Minneapolis sound because it all started in his basement or at least around that whole arena. Flight time, Grand Central, you know, you know the history, the yep. whole history. That should have been, if you're going to do a Prince tribute, let's dig deep. Where's Sonny T at? Where's Levi? You know what I mean? Like, where, where's Michael B? Like, where are the people who did a lot of progression in addition to the, now, without question, the revolution is definitely his most popular band because it's, it's Purple Rain. And there's no dispute in that. But there was more life, more history, and more great music after 1984. So it's like, oh, yeah, no that's my beef. I'm never going to live that down. Um, my opinion is not going to change. And I meant what I said in, in that post. I'm like, I don't want to see another Prince tribute on television again, unless, unless it's us, my, me and my band, the Planetary Movement, or unless it's some of the other bands like Lenard's Many Moves and Days of Wild and a lot of my other buddies, Martin Kimber, um, people who have done stuff within the community and kept his memory alive. Because, you know, we're not a tribute band. I do my own stuff on stage. But, of course, when we came to Minneapolis, um, I did a Prince tribute show. It was Prince Week. So, of course, I'm gonna, I did a Prince medley just to let people know how much my number one idol means to me. But my fans got that. They was like, well, Law is still his own artist. He's not jumping on the Prince bandwagon, and that's his number one hero. I said, well, yeah, I mean, if we're in, if we're in Minneapolis, there's no way in hell we're not going to do no Prince-related stuff. We're going to do either some Mars stuff, Maserati. You don't know what we're going to do because we love paying homage to Minneapolis. They showed us love, and I've been trying to get the Minneapolis since I was nine years old, and I finally had made it. So that's how you keep his legacy and his memory alive. But my thing is that whoever the gatekeepers are or quote-unquote, they need to let some of these other artists who worked with Prince, who lived with him, who created with him, they need to be a part of the celebration too in terms of um, promotion and keeping his legacy alive, not just the same three or four acts each and every time because Prince worked with so many people, you know? Oh, yeah. So that's, that's my take on it pretty much. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, just, just to piggyback on, um, and I'm going to talk about some more Prince, some more about Prince later on in the interview, but, just to mm -hmm. piggyback on what you're saying, it's like you're saying, like, you know, there's so many artists that you guys could have had on there. I mean, even if you, even if you were just to have, um, like, hearing everything you were just saying, thinking back now, I mean, one of the things you guys could have 
had was you could have just had um, Jesse Johnson, Jelly yeah. Bean, somebody else yeah. up, just just up there, just up there having a guitar battle, playing play, playing the hits, and you would mm-hmm. you would have appealed to the mainstream. But when the diehard fans see, oh shit, you got Jesse Johnson's up there, somebody would have saw. Yeah, see exactly. Everybody. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's, that's another story. All right, so I'm a huge New Edition fan, and I still feel they haven't gotten it just yes. due. In, yes. in particular, for what the group did as solo artists, in my opinion, some of the stuff they were doing in 1990, in particular, Ralph, is what Drake is doing now. Do you feel the public will ever give New Edition their just due? Well, first and foremost, before we even get into that question, and I think you know this already. I think all of my fans that have been following me forever, um, people who know me, um, you know, New Edition is my overall idols, all six of them. And, you know, I say this all the time because, you know, Prince, Michael Jackson, the Jacksons, Stevie Wonder, James Brown, Jimi Hendrix, those are my first primary heroes, but what do they all have in common? They were all adults. I'm nine years old watching these grown men, and, of course, I'm learning because I'm becoming who I'm becoming. But it didn't make sense for me until I discovered these five nappy-headed boys from Roxbury Orchard Park Projects that was doing the same thing that I was doing at that time, which was singing, rapping, and dancing, and forcing D's and UTFO um, to, to add on to that whole cycle of being a singer and a rapper. Because at that particular point, they made it popular to be that. These guys were real singers that did real dance steps and dance moves. And they had the Temptations and the Dramatic Spinners old school thing of my parents' era, but they had that new school breaking, popping, and locking thing that we were doing as kids. So they made it more appealing to me. So knew it. anytime you see me on stage, that's who I represent. You know, all six guys are my heroes. I learned from them vocally as dancers, especially Ralph and Bobby. Those are my, my top two because at the end of the day, just what they've done as singers and pushing the culture forward and being who that was, it gave me the permission that once I put my guitar and my bass down, I knew how to perform. So that's in addition to my first primary heroes who I mentioned earlier. So let me just get that out the way. New Edition is the blueprint for all of my success on a stage level and bringing presentation in addition to all those guys I mentioned. So um, as far as I'm getting there, just do, to be honest with you, I think in the recent years they finally got it. I mean, they're on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, thank God, you know, and then um, BET and I believe um, TV, TV one of them stations, BET, they, they finally gave the, the Legends Award, which was well-deserving. I think it'll be finalized for me and a lot of other diehard New Edition fans once they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I believe they belong in there more than anything else. I'm like, we're talking about over 25 years of influence. The only, the only group that has ever done what New Edition has done would be um, the Eagles because the, what do the Eagles have in common? If you know anything about Rock and Roll, the Eagles are the only rock group that had four separate entities. All those guys in the Eagles were dope as solo artists. Don Henley had an incredible solo career. Glenn Fry did too. Timothy Schmidt did a lot of session work, had a great album as well, and Joe Walsh was already a star when he met the Eagles. New Edition, same thing. Once they went on that hiatus and everybody dropped the solo album, each of their solo albums became their own significance, and that's in addition to them being in New Edition. So that, to me, that made the legacy 
grow even more. No R&B group has done what New Edition has done, and that's the main thing I always want people to get to understand why. That's why when they do, like, lists of the greatest R&B groups in the world, I don't even put them or the Temptations on that list because, to me, both of those groups were the greatest of the era. Well, the Temptations are the blueprint, period, overall, because, remember, New Edition learned from them. And New Edition is the, um, the Temptations of my generation, so you got to remember – Every band that came after them, from New Kids on the Block to Troop to Boys to Men to Jodeci, in one way or the other, they owe they all owe a debt to the influence of New Edition. And I believe it's been celebrated more now. To be honest with you, it should have been celebrated when they did the Home Again run because they came back after ten years of not being on the same stage with each other and had a number one record. A lot of R and B groups can't come back after no ten year hiatus. And I always said to myself, I said, trust me. If all six of them get together and they do an album, it's going to be a wrap. In 2020, the Home Again album is still their biggest selling album because people want to see all six of them stepping and singing on the same record. And to me, it proved my point because at that point, people were writing them all. I was like, ah, New Edition ain't going to never be what they were again. And they came back even stronger, even though the tour didn't last that long, but it still served a purpose to let people know that they're going to forever be relevant. And I'm not saying that because I'm close to them. They're like my big brothers. You know, me and Biv have been close for years, and Ralph is one of my closest friends. So it's like I really – I'm saying that because before we even became friends and all that, that's how I felt about them. That's the template. I, the, the corporate agency who I'm a part of now at Element Music, the first time that I performed with them was like an on-stage audition. They, would, they had heard about me, and they wanted to test me out. And the lady that ran the, um, the thing at that time – she was like, you know, Lord, um, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. And I'm like, oh, God, what is she going to say? She's like, no, but you know nothing wrong. But you remind me a lot of Bobby Brown, and I just lit up. Because you got to remember, and I understand why she said it the wrong way, because at that time Bobby Brown was being known more for other shit outside of music. People kept forgetting how much Bobby Brown changed the game by himself without New Edition. Oh, yeah. And the fact that she said that to me, all I did was smile. She was like, did I say something wrong or right? I said, you couldn't have been more right. Those are my heroes, all six of them, especially Bobby and Ralph. And she's like, I knew it. I knew you. You got all that into you. I see the Prince side of you. I see the Michael Jackson, but I see the new edition side of you too, the Belbert DeVoe. And that was almost 13 years ago because at that time, it wasn't cool to be no 90s head. But if you notice in recent years, especially in the time that we're in now, thanks to D-Nice and all this other stuff going on with quarantine, is that, I've said it for all these years, and people didn't believe me, but it brings no truer bells now, and New Edition is a, is a huge part of the reason why. The classic stuff will never die. I don't care what the current trend is. I don't care what new developments happen. This time right now is living proof that the shit will never die, and the New Edition movie is still the number one, um, sh- the number one movie in, in the history of DET. You know why? Because old school and new school came together. The new school finally found out why their parents loved New Edition, why the guys wanted to be like them, and why the girls wanted to marry them, why the girls wanted to be close to them. So, you know, I, I can go on all day about New Edition. You know, and again, I'm not being biased because those are my big girls for life. I'm yeah. saying it because before, they, before, before we even became close like that, that's how much I studied them then, and that's how much I study them now. I won my first talent show singing Lost in Love by New Edition because me and my sister, the only time we got along was because I was watching Soul Train to get every single spin and turn and slide that Ralph and them was doing. And meanwhile, my sister thought that she was going to be Mrs. Tresvant. So it's like <laughs> it, it kind of worked hand in hand for me. So without question, there is no me without New Edition, period. <laughs> 
I love them to death. I'm and, the same way, and they know it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, you know, I, I would defend them to the um, – I would defend them to the T, like, no matter what. And, like, one of the things that people always, you know, kind of want to argue, want to try to bring up is, like, the thing. And I'm like, all right, like, you know, I'll give you that. Like, New Edition, locally, like, you know, they aren't the best. They'll, they'll even tell you that. But that stage game, though, nobody, nobody that came after them can touch them on stage. Like, no, nobody can. Choreography wise, well, I mean, and the show set up to, to me. To me, well, I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to say, singing. As I said earlier, if you remember, let's go back to what I said. Singing is subjective. It all depends it on which tone you like, which voice you yep. like. For me personally, that's why I love New Edition because all of their voices were different. But it added, even though Ralph being a main lead singer. You got Ricky with that first tenor falsetto. Bobby Brown was New Edition's strongest singer until Johnny Gill came into the, the fold of it. Everybody played a part, and when they all harmonized together, it still made a lot of sense. So even though they'd be like, well, Ralph had this voice, I said, but that's what made New Edition New Edition because Ralph had, Marie Starr said it best, Ralph had a very distinct voice. Bobby's voice was great, but Ralph had that simplistic very, you know, it had, it had that extra thin layer, but it had so much soul in it. Like, like when Ralph sang, he sang, he, he loved his voice for what it is. And I think that's the main reason why girls went crazy. And then just when you, when you hear any new edition record, if you don't hear Ralph in the backgrounds along with the other guys, it's not a new edition record. It don't even sound right. So to me, it's subjective. I don't, you know, of course, yeah. I don't sit there and be like, okay, well, who – I have a whole list of – I have many male singers who influence me, even if I have a top five, but I always do my top 30. I said, because you got to remember, I got influenced by some people who a lot of fans would be shocked to be like, oh, wow, you listen to them too? And I'm like, yeah, I said, there's a lot you don't know because I learned something from each of these guys in, in one way or, or fashion, shape, form, or, or another. So that's subjective. I mean, people are going to always have an opinion on – who can do what? I, I always say it's about what you like. And to me, I've never heard – that's my first concert, so I've never heard them sound bad or crazy. And I know in the beginning, of course, I mean, no group starts off that way, especially when they're young like that, and you have the bit of the appeal that you have because every group has its own appeal no matter what. So I, I hate when they do these battles about, well, who's the better singer than so. I'm like, well, I mean, that's subjective too. I said, now, if you're going to go with this, that, and the dirt, I learned more from him than I learned from him. I'm going to always be real about it. I'm like, well, I learned more from him than I did from him. So it's a different thing, man. I don't, I don't even get into those debates anymore. I used to do it a lot. I stopped after a while because I'm like, you know what? It doesn't make any sense because what are you basing it off of? Are you liking them? because you just don't like them as a group and you want to be like, oh, Ralph can't sing or, or Bobby can't sing or Ronnie and Mike definitely can't sing. One day I played, a, I played my favorite New Edition song is Marianne off the second album. You want to know why? Because that's all five members singing lead. I had the people was like, that's Mike and Ronnie singing lead? I'm like, yeah, they all can sing. I said, it's just that everybody know who the main singers are. But in the movie, what I hated about the movies, they made it seem like, Ralph just did everything. I'm like, no, Ralph didn't do everything. They're all, all, they're all over those albums. That's the part that they got wrong. And even Biz agreed with when I said it on, on, when we were live tweeting during the movie. And I tell people, I said, first of all, Candy Girl wasn't even the first song recorded. It was Jealous Girl. Bobby yep. was already one of the main singers in the group. It was never this thing of, well, now Ralph's going to be in front. Ralph became that when he went to the mic to sing Candy Girl. But Jealous Girl was already recorded. 
You see yep. what I mean? People don't know this stuff because we didn't have social media and all that back then, so people only go by what they heard and what they know, and then the movie only gave you 90% of what was true and certain things were embellished because even Velvet DeVore made it down in the interview. Like certain things got embellished or pushed a little bit more up. They had to make room for other parts of the story. So I tell people all the time, even with a three-part series, you can never tell the history of a 30-year-old group in no two hours, even in three days. It's so much, there's so many layers to it, and I know most of those layers. The only other person that knows yeah, more layers than me or just as much as me is um, my boy Rob Smith. Um, they call him the, the any historian. He's the only other yeah, person I, that probably know a little bit more than I do or just as much. That's why a lot of times I look at him, I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't even know that. But that's the whole point. Yeah, like, I know, Rob. We know the history of this stuff. So, so yeah, so it's, it's subjective. It's really subjective about what a person likes. Some people, don't, some people don't like Rihanna's voice. I love Rihanna's voice because she's confident in who she is. She's not trying to sound like Beyonce or anybody else. She's Rihanna. That's what makes Rihanna Rihanna. It's her voice. When her voice comes on, I know what to expect. I'm not expecting a whole bunch of riffs and runs. I'm expecting straight ahead pop with a little bit of an R&B Caribbean flavor. That's what I expect from, from Rihanna when I hear her sing. You know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it totally does, and it, yeah. it, it it goes back to um, you know, get off sidetracking in it, but uh, it, it goes back to like, mm-hmm. kind of what I always say is what I always tell people is for me, if somebody can't sing or you think somebody can't sing, I always ask them, have you seen them live? Because for me, as a consumer and as a fan, what come what matters at the end of the day is your live game, how how you come across live and. You know, oh yeah, not to, <laughs> absolutely, you know, not not to be a hater or anything like that, but it's like you know, Keith Sweat might not be the best singer, but Keith Sweat's stage show is killer. Like his, his stage that's show. That's actually why I love Keith. That's actually why I love Keith. In twenty twenty, you don't realize that. I never looked at Keith Sweat yeah. as the best singer, but 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 but, but what but, but for what Keith does, this is why I have. I, look, I own all of Keith's albums, just so we keep it real. I love Keith's albums. You know why? Because Keith owned who he is. When, I think when a singer, yeah. this is my personal opinion, when a singer owns who they are, to me, those are the best singers. And I'm, I'm going to keep it real with you. I'm, I'm going to say something that's going to probably upset a lot of folks or probably have folks looking around like, who's he talking about? And I'm not talking about anybody in particular. This is what separated me from a lot of my other singing contemporaries. Because the thing was that they were too busy, in my opinion, studying all the guys that were doing these crazy, and mind you, I'm from gospel, so I know all about that. I could sing like that too. But the thing for me was that as I got older, I began to study the more simplistic singer because I realized, you know what, I can do that all day. But guess what? That's not going to get me through this particular door. It'll only keep me in one space forever because in some shows, people don't want to hear all that. Some people just want to sing the song as it is or give it a more personal feel in an intimate setting. Like if you want to use your riffs and runs by the time you're done with like five of the songs, after like seven songs, it's tiring. So for me, when I saw everybody else that was around my age doing it, I said, you know what? I'm gonna keep learning that, but guess what? I'm gonna study some some of these some of these other singers over here that had a little bit more of a of a simplistic, distinct feel, so it can give me me a lot of character with my voice, so I can also be able diverse enough to flip it. We did a show one time for Jackie Robinson Foundation where we sing the classic song. Did you see Jackie Robinson hit hit that ball? Which I had to do like a Frank Sinatra kind of jazz vocal. And one of my friends, um, another incredible artist who I grew up with by the name of Barry Boo. She looked at me one day. She's like, yo, Law, 
you sound amazing. You always sound amazing, but I love hearing you sing in that Frank Sinatra jazz work because everybody's so used to you singing when you do the Velvet DeVoe stuff or the, the rock stuff or the, the, the R&B Al Green kind of stuff, to know that you can be that diverse to sing that. And I, and I told her, thank you. I said, that's the whole point because it should be a secret weapon. I think that every singer should have a moment where, you know, give a little bit of who you are but don't give too much. That's why if you notice on my Instagram page or even on my Facebook, I don't do a whole lot of the, um, the, the singing every other five seconds. They want to post. And mind you, nothing, nothing against anybody that does it. Like I said, everybody has their own thing of promoting, and, and I don't knock anybody's hustle for that matter. But when I saw everybody else putting up videos of them singing with the voice, the apps, and some of the acapella stuff, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do my backgrounds instead because anybody could sit there and sing the lead of a riff, and everybody knows I can sing lead, but I want, I want to show people how to sing backgrounds because the art of singing background to me is more important than singing lead. That's how, actually how I judge lead singers because a lot of lead singers, and I'm not going to say no names, <laughs> there's a lot of lead singers who are excellent lead singers, but they can't do their own backgrounds. A lot of them can't sing backgrounds to save their life. They can't even stay in one note. So, and I come from a family that's always been able to do both. We've always had the pleasure of doing both. So it's really all subjective. Like I said, going back to that statement again, it's really all subjective, but that's how I want to separate myself from all the other singers so I can be able to put anywhere. And this is why Law has gigs booked in 2021, and we're not even done with 2020 yet because of the diversity. Not just because I, I perform the way I do, but also because if a client or anybody comes up and says, hey, we want to do, we, we tired of R&B, we want to hear some jazz. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. A lot of singers are not diverse like that. So I want them, I, from the time I was 14, I made it a personal mission of mine. Law, listen to everything. You never know what's going to be called. One night I did Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses because the other singer didn't even know it. I was ready. And I, I did the Axl Rose voice and everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I know people can't imagine that now. They see my demeanor and they're like, I'm trying to pitch the law going, you know where you are. You're in the jungle, baby. Going, they can't pitch, but you got to be ready. And that's always a mentality that I have. And the words of Shirley Ralph, stay ready so you never have to get ready and be prepared at all times. And that's, that's, to me, that's the mark of a great singer, a singer that can sing anything. And like you said earlier, even if they can't sing everything, perfect example, I've been in groups where, um, in a group called LTF, um, my boy Mike, Mike is more of the natural baritone. I can sing baritone with no question, but Mike's baritone was so, you know what I mean? He had one of those voices where I could sing what he's singing, but I'd rather Mike sing it. And I'm, and I'm not, you know, I'm not one of them stingy kind of singers. Like, I got to sing everything. I'm like, no, I, I know what points and parts I need to be in, whether I'm singing backup or whether I'm singing lead or sharing lead with somebody else. You know what I mean? And that, to me, that's the mark of a good singer, knowing when to sing, knowing when not to sing, and knowing when to blend or play your position with what you're given. And a lot of singers don't know how to do that because everybody would go, ah! everybody want to do that all fucking day. And it's like, it gets monotonous after a while. It's like, okay, we know that. That's great. No doubt about it. But, you know, sometimes you can't get past square one. But that, that's my opinion. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, and I mean, all this stuff, man, is knowledge and it's jewels. And, you know, I can't sing worth a damn, but Everything, everything that you're saying, you know, stuff that I say as a consumer and as a, as a fan, like you know, and it makes perfect sense because a lot of singers they don't, um, a lot of singers that are talented don't know how to 
use their instrument properly. And to go back to the John Legend thing, on the mm-hmm. I mean, even Wifey, Wifey, you know, as soon as he came out on that stage and opened his shirt up, Wifey's like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> like, what the hell is he doing? It's the wrong song for your voice, then. Again, I'm not saying... Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, not to cut you off. I was going to say, as a consumer, again, going back to you now, you know what you like and what's good to <laughs> your ears. And by the way, I'm in total agreement with you because here's the thing. Again, John Legends, when I'm, I'm going to keep it real with you. John Legend, you know, great, great songwriter. It was definitely a breath of fresh air when he came out, without question. You know, and his voice is subjective. I, I'm not the biggest fan of his voice, but I, I respect what he does. I, I, sometimes I, even make, I jokingly make fun of his voice, not because I'm dissing him. I'm saying that because that's just John Legend. That's just how his voice says. That's who he is. I love that part about him. After two albums, I couldn't do it. That, that was just more so for me. I'm like, okay, the first couple albums after that, I couldn't really get into it. But going back to what you said, and piggybacking off of my singer's conversation, every song is not for everybody. And as a band leader, a noted band leader like myself, I promise you, when I make choices on who's going to sing what, it's not because I don't think that that other person can sing the song. It's just that you have to have the right characterization to sing certain songs. If your voice doesn't fit within that timber, you shouldn't be singing it. And that's the, I agree with exactly. you. That's why a lot of times, I'm not going to say any names, but there was a situation where I had to let a, a band member go, and you know, we had been close for years because the client had requested um, I'm Every Woman, some Martha Wise stuff, it's Raining Men, you know, songs like that. I don't know, those are, what are those? That's powerhouse vocals. That's Martha Wash. That's Whitney Houston. That's Shaka Khan. That's Aretha Franklin. That's the stuff that they want to hear. Um, what's the come? Pride and deep love. Like they want to hear stuff. And here's the thing. Now they all know that these girls on stage are not those artists. But again, they have the voice power to sing those songs to make the client believe that they are listening to a Martha Wash or such and such or C.C. Peniston. You have to have the vocal phrasing. You got to either sound just like them or have a voice that's just as good where you can hit those notes that people want to hear when you're doing it. And see, even as a male singer, I don't fight for that. And it's not because I can't. I can sing whatever you put in front of me. But guess what? There might be another singer in the front line or in somewhere else that may be like, you know what? He's a better fit for it. I like the way he sings it because he gives more of that character what the song really needs. I can do it. But I'd rather have a situation where I know for a fact what's in the range of my voice, what's in the style of my voice, and what I can do. The only time I should be able to sing that song is when somebody else don't know the words or, they, or they're not confident enough to sing the part of the song. But if I got somebody there that got the voice and they got the confidence, I'm not going to fight with that. No, go ahead and kick ass. That's the way it should be. And to go back to John Legend, I just felt like they should have gotten somebody else who could have delivered that in that characterization. Just because you have a voice, a good voice or a fair voice, doesn't mean that you're meant to sing everything. So I, I agree with you. Totally. All right. So, yeah, that was, that was good, man. We're going to keep it moving. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying mm-hmm. this interview with my man, Juan Torrell. He's dropping tons of, uh, tons of jewels, tons of knowledge. So we got some more stuff. It's not over yet. Okay, so recently, my man, you dropped, your, you dropped a new single called Shattered Pieces with legendary Jelly Bean Johnson. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you know, here's the thing. The, the crazy part about it is that, I mean, as most fans know, um, me, Jellybean, Monty, Morris, Jerome, we, we've been close buddies for years. I'm, I'm their little brother. That's what they love calling me. It's been, you know, to, to go from, you know, it's a dream come true. To, to go from, you know, me and my brother, um, Pepe, we used to imitate Morris and Jerome for talent shows, and we would win and perform in our churches and stuff like that. So to go from imitating them, wanting to be like them, they became the reason why we, why we love wearing suits in church because my grandmother used to make us wear suits, and we hated it. And it wasn't until we saw Mars Day in the time that me and my brother was like, okay, I guess we can wear it. If they're that cool in suits, we could be that cool too. So to go from being kids and imitating them and studying them to working with the master drummer and master guitar player and master producer, songwriter, Jelly Bean Johnson, it, it, it's just, you know, it's beauty personified. I mean, I, I've said it in, in so many other interviews where it's hard to even talk about because it's a dream come true. Like, you know, to work, to work with any of my heroes who are still here, because I, I give my masters and, and my teachers their flowers while they're still here. I don't wait till they're on their deathbed or sick or something's wrong with them. If you, you, you read most of my posts, I give it up. Like, I let it be known who my heroes are. You see me in pictures with a big Kool-Aid smile on my face. He's starstruck. You damn right I am. These are the, these are the guys that made me who I am. I'm not going to pretend and try to be extra cool. No, these are, these are my heroes. So to be in a studio with them and to be asked to write and contribute to his project, I mean, it, it's a blessing. I, I still pinch myself sometimes even when I look at the, the cover of the single and everything like that. And to have the incredible, lovely Tamar Davis on it, oh, my God. It, it's just, you know, it doesn't get it doesn't get any better than that. So I, it, it was a true blessing. You know, the, the, the single is really getting a lot of critical acclaim, and to think they haven't even heard most of the album yet. It, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm on three of the songs. I produced one. I, I wrote on um, three of them. There's even some songs that might not even make the final cut. So it, it's just it, it's a blessing. You know, shout out to Jelly Bean Johnson once again, my, my my big bro, for making me a part of what he was doing. And he granted my wish because I told him I said, okay, I got this one song, the one condition. I, I need I need Uncle Monty Moore to play on these keys. I need Tony M from MPG because I've been wanting to rhyme with him forever. And we made it happen. So it, it's it's definitely a, a, a great album. But, but Shattered Pieces is, is definitely a song that, that me and um, Tamar Davis wrote. And it's right on time because when we wrote it, we were just thinking about loved ones that we lost in general from that perspective. And then this is right before this deadly corona thing kind of took over our world for a minute. So the, the lyrics in the song take on a definitely new meaning at this point so it's definitely one of the 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 best songs on the album for significant parts of it and to 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 add on to it i played the the prince cloud guitar on the song so that made it even extra special on the minneapolis level so yeah well you are in the music industry you're also a music fan what would you say is the best r&b tour you've seen and the best hip-hop tour you've seen Say it again. You said the best R&B what? The best R&B tour you've seen live and the best hip-hop tour you've seen. In terms of bands? <laughs> I mean, no, just, 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 just in general, like the best tour you've ever seen R&B-wise and the best tour you've ever seen hip-hop-wise. The best tour R&B-wise, hands down, without question, um, New Edition Home Again Tour. And it's crazy because, yeah, you know, you see all these clips about mine. the New Edition the Home Again tour being from hell, but the hell came later. I saw the first three shows of that tour. 
And, you know, again, the movie had to speed it up to make it, to, to, to make it what it is. I said no, but I saw the first three shows, and all six members were there. And, for, and, I, and from what I also hear, Brooke Payne told me that there were less rehearsals for that tour, which blew my mind because I would have never mm-hmm. guessed it watching how fluid that whole show was. And it's crazy because you got to remember, for Die Hard New Edition fans like us, they have been away for 10-plus 10, 10 years, they come back together, then they had that segment in the show where they all sitting down and they do all the different ballads one by one. Bobby does his, and then they get right back to doing stuff from the new album, stuff from the old albums. You know, to me, that was the best tour ever R&B-wise. And um, for hip-hop, definitely um, I'm going to say the Fear of a Black Planet tour with Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane, and Ice Cube because you had three different mediums. You had Kane bringing that East Coast shit. You had Q bringing that West Coast. And then you had Public Enemy bringing that conscience, which united both coasts. So to me, that, that was my fa- that's my favorite hip-hop tour of all time. Yeah, I got to say for me, Best R&B is uh, Home Again. That's my first first show, February 22nd, 1997 oh, wow. in, in Maryland. Oh, wow. But you know what's crazy, though, is that um, when I saw my tour – it was after mm-hmm. the New Mexico incident. And I'm always like, that's crazy. Like, you know, you would never know that they had that internal strife based on how they came out on the stage. I'm like, yo, this, this happened like a month ago, and now they're mm-hmm. out here doing it. And hip-hop tour, uh, I got to say the best tour I've seen is probably Jay-Z's uh, 44 tour. That's probably the best one I've seen. But, like, I've seen other yeah. acts that were a bit – that they were better on stage. Like when I saw Kane, that was a good tour at the Howard Theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when I saw Kane at the Howard Theater, like maybe two years ago, I mean Kane killed mm-hmm. it, and I had I had more oh, fun at Kane's show. But Jay's tour <laughs> was like a better was 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 a better tour, you know, because it's more money involved, it's more effects. But as far as like fun, fun wise, it was yeah, it was definitely um well definitely so I, I want to say stop. I was going to say sidebar because, you know, you know, Kane is family. It's like, that's my big bro for real in and outside the music industry. And him being my number two overall hip-hop rap influence as an MC, but also as an entertainer and performer because the one thing that separated Kane from everybody else even back, even back then, because Kane still puts on an excellent show, but even back then in, in, in like what would be called, I don't believe he's past his prime, and not in my opinion. He's still, he's still ill with it on the <laughs> microphone as a performer. I don't believe in that. Oh, he's past his prime. I said the only time a person's past their prime is when they're not making the crowds go crazy anymore. Kane's still driving them nuts, even in 2020 before his corona shit hit. And the crazy thing is that even back then, that's what made me pay attention to Kane besides you know, him being an MC, him and Scooby Scrap, like I would, everything that, every time that they was on the Apollo or like a, a, a show or something, they would telecast it from Video Music Box, I would just sit there for hours just watching Kane and Scooby Scrap and Mr. C just demolish the show. I felt bad for anybody that had to follow them because Kane knew what to do. They, they had, you know, Kane said the best. He borrowed the concepts from, um, James Brown and the Famous Flames, like that whole trio thing where it's the singer and the dancers. Kane had that whole thing on lock, jumping over his leg and then scooping scrap, pulling them up by his shirt. Like, that's how you move a crowd because you could be the dopest MC in the world. You could be the dopest singer in the world. But if your stage show ain't hitting, nobody don't give a shit. So I learned this at an early age, watching people like Kane and, and New Edition and Force MDs and UTFO and Houdini. They put on great shows. 
They didn't just stand still and just rap and sing all day. They knew how to entertain the crowd, and that's, that's where it's at. If you don't know how to entertain the crowd, it don't matter how dope your skills are. You got to know how to keep the people entertained for, for an hour or more. If you can't even entertain for a crowd for 25 minutes, you shouldn't even be trying to pursue a career in music. That's my opinion. But, yeah, Kane, that's the reason why Kane is one of the biggest influences. Forget the fact that I'm being biased of the fact that we're close and all that. Because even before me and him became close, like I was already studying Kane on that deeper level of emceeing and knowing how to rock a show. And in 2020, Kane, you saw, did you see the show he did on Instagram in his living room? Kane, I'm like, I felt like I was right there. I'm like, that's how crazy it is. I'm like, I literally, I'm in the room yelling ho like I'm in the audience. And I'm like, ain't no audience here, but Big Bo is still making, is giving me the vibe. Like he's still, you know what I mean? Like that's the power of a great entertainer in this day and age. If you can still make people feel that way. Look at New Edition before they, before they went on hiatus. I was at the last tour with them. To see, I, I have more fun watching the people go nuts. I love watching them. Because they, they, like me, I'm like, New Editions can still do all their steps. A lot of groups can't even do all their old steps. They still can do all their old steps at, at the age where they're at now. You know, and K may not jump over his leg no more. I'll be joking with him about that a lot. K don't do the splits and stuff no more. But if Kane wanted to and he wanted to just do that for old time's sake, he would and he could, and the people would still go nuts. So, yeah. Yeah, speaking on um, sidetrack, speak, speaking on um, Kane, um, like, I, like I just mentioned earlier, you know, I was a military vet in the Air Force. So, you know, mm-hmm. when you're in the desert, all you can pretty much do is write letters back home, go on the Internet, and listen to music, and I always tell, I always tell an interview, especially if somebody that I, that I really respect, that mm-hmm. your music played a big part in helping me cope being in the desert. So with Kane, some of his oh, wow. stuff, you know, I, I would I would I would go online and just like buy albums, have them <laughs> yeah. actually go through and and listen to the CD. You know, this is 06, so listen to the CD from start to finish, and I'm like, yo, it's some shit on here, like some heat on here, and I think oh, with Kane yeah. for me. I think Kane for me. I think Kane definitely should have had a bigger and better career. I think he was a little bit ahead of his time, you know, with his, with, mm-hmm. with what he was doing. And then kind of like you know when he started to get the when, when Kane started to get kind of gets the negative press from hip hop heads. It's like the shit Kane was doing like in ninety 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 one ninety two. Puffy doing the same thing like like yeah, doing the same thing like three or four years later. He was just a bit too soon, because I mean, it's, I, I guess to me it's like Kane could have, Kane could have the, the ladies album on there, the ladies joint, something lyrical, mm-hmm. something like hard, something knowledgeable, and just kill folk. And it's like even though Kane could wear a suit and do a track of Barry White, you want to see him on the mic in well, a battle because because he'll eat you up. Well, let, yeah, let, 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 let me break that down even. Let me let me break that down even further for you. Here's here's the thing. And this is what I had to learn as I was making my way through the ranks as, a, as an MC. You know, forget the singing part. Singing part's already there. We know that about me already. But as an MC, I used to always tell people this. You know, first of all, Kane, you know, it's interesting because Kane is not the first dude to wear suits in hip-hop. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Oh, yeah. Hyde. That's, that's Andre yep. Harrell before he became Andre Harrell that we knew. They was already doing that sort of stuff. So it wasn't a thing where, okay, you know, it was the whole pimp mobster look. Kane's thing from the very beginning, if you look at some of the fashions he wore, if he wasn't wearing the velour suits or doing that, Kane would always have a suit. And mind you, 
Now, the, most of us kids in the community that understood performance and fashion and all that shit, we understood it because, you know, my Uncle Kevin is a B-boy, but my Uncle Kevin taught us early how to change from suit to sneakers, from sneakers to, to shoes or whatever. And the thing is that we had diversity. I think when he did Taste of Chocolate, which is a dope-ass album, by the way, me, me and him, just so you know, me and him have talks about this because he, he fights with that a lot. And I always say that to him. I'm like, well, Prince of Daughter, I feel I said, dude, you, you, you killed on that album. I don't, know even, I don't even know what you're talking about because you had the lyrics. There was mad lyrics on there that you were spitting. And then you had other stuff on there too. The thing is that, in my opinion, Kane never lost the intelligent folks like myself who understood diversity. Because you got to remember, the whole, oh, that's commercial. He's a sellout. First of all, that's the dumbest shit I ever heard in my life because the whole purpose of where hip-hop was at that point, who didn't want to sell a million records with something that they loved to do or something that they were pushing for? To me, a sellout is a person that does certain things that they don't want to do to try to attain success. Kane was being himself. Kane was always being. He wasn't saying, well, I'm going to do this strictly for the ladies, came from the very beginning, always had that appeal. Look at, look at the Ain't No Half Stepping video. He was getting massaged by girls. You know what I mean? Like, Kane, all, Kane was already showing that appeal of who he was. Look what he said in the third verse of I Get the Job Done. Here's a perfect description of me, six for one in dark love. And the saying black is beautiful is true, true now phony. I'm brown and Bobby's, won't you be my tenderoni? His right. whole appeal was already. What he said, ain't no, ain't no hair on my chest, but I'm one tough cookie. He's presenting, and that's on the second album. He's already telling you, the fellas are easy. I'm a dope MC that can spit, and I'm from Brooklyn. Don't get it twisted. I'll fuck you up. But on the flip side of that shit, it's like I'm a smooth operator. When I'm with a girl, you know, I know my style. I ain't going to tell you everything. I remember on stage, he used to say, like, certain metaphors he would say, and the girls would go crazy. He said, I remember my father once told me, girls are like stamps. You got to lick them before you stick them. And girls would go nuts. I used to love seeing girls react to the shit he's saying because it's, it's pimp talk it's smooth pimp talk i grew up in that environment among hustlers and pimps and players so i understood it more than the average kid my, like me and my brothers and my cousins we we were part of that culture so we understood where kane was coming from all the real extreme rugged independent for the hip-hop you know all those kind of guys they were the ones trying to make kane feel like ah he sell out he done sell off he done did this shit now lyrically it looks like a job for it. that fourth album there were some cuts on there, and I kept it real with him. He knows that. I said, I said you know, I, I understand what you felt with that album, but I still feel like Prince of Darkness was a better album than um, Looks Like a Job for it. That's, but that's my personal opinion, and he knows that. We talk about that all yeah. the time. But I say it to the degree of Kane was ahead of his time. People didn't appreciate yeah. it more so until years after the fact, and that always tends to happen with a lot of stuff. The same way Vanilla Ice wasn't appreciated because everybody was too busy dragging him for being who he was, not even knowing that this, this, this white kid from Dallas and Florida had an all-black audience for three years before he even got signed. He was already opening up to EPMD and Public Enemy and Sir Mixlot, but nobody even knew the history of Vanilla Ice beforehand. And all they just saw was this white kid thinking that he's trying to be something that he ain't. I'm like, no, Vanilla Ice been that deal from before he became famous with Ice Ice Baby. He was already noted in his arenas, but, of course, he's more appreciated now. That's why you saw him on the Soul Train thing three years ago he went down the Soul Train line. They brought him up on stage. I remember when he got nominated for an award, um, back in the day, they, he got booed. He was like the laughing stock. They wanted to make fun of him. Oh, he's not really this. And people didn't know the history. But now you see on these 90s tours, they loving him. Vanilla is getting more love now than he did when he was the number one rap artist. So it's just, 
there's so many variables to it. Like that, that whole shit I never understood about who's a sellout. You know, MC Hammer said the best. Hammer was like, everything that they called me a sellout for, you see rappers doing now. When I did, when I did Taco Bell and all that shit, like it wasn't Taco Bell and the Hammer Doll and um, what else? Yeah, the Pepsi commercials. He said they were calling me a sellout. Fast forward to 2000, whatever. Rappers sell clothing. Rappers sell um, sell your phones. They sell apps. But Hamill was one of the first per, per people to do it and make and make a thing out of it. But they chastised him so much. That's why I never was part of that whole be a critical, overcritical rap fan because I know what real hip-hop is. My number one MC in the world is Cool G Rap, so you can't tell me shit about hip-hop. Nobody can come to me and make an argument with me about who I think my top five MCs are or who I feel could win a battle. That's why people listen to my opinion when I speak on it. I'm from the streets. I battled. I won all of my rap battles. Like I, I came up in the culture of it. So when I say I like MC Hammer, I have a right to say that. I say I like MC Hammer for different reasons. I'm not, I don't put MC Hammer in my yeah. top 15 of greatest MCs, but I love what Hammer brought to the table in hip-hop, even if that's not your thing. I love it. I dug it. I understood it, and I studied it. So I never subscribed to that whole um, when somebody would be like, oh, LL's doing it. Why is he doing I Need Love? Oh, he's getting soft, or he's doing that. Niggas just didn't understand. That's my opinion. They didn't, they didn't understand what was going on, but I did. And I studied them, and I never paid attention to when people felt like, why should you do this kind of a song? You're a hardcore rapper from the streets. I'm like, that, that's just, you know, it, it's, it's been overbearing for so long. I'm so glad that the rules, th- those rules no longer exist, you know. Thank, thanks to people like Eminem and Jay-Z, believe it or not, if you want to get technical, Jay-Z and Eminem are two great examples of that because they have radio stuff. And they got underground shit that we can pull out right now and go song for song and be like, yo, that was my shit. You know what I mean? Like that sort of, you know, he got both sides of the fence. And if you got both sides of the fence as an MC, to me, you are winning. Now, if you just do strictly underground and you want to make a living off of that, that's great too. There's a lot of MCs that do that and do it well and don't care about mainstream success or they get the mainstream success and still make records that are just dope. I respect it. That's, that's actually the reason why I'm a big Eminem fan, because Eminem, with all the Oscars and Grammys and shit that he won, Eminem can still get in a booth and just make a, a song with him spitting his head off. He ain't thinking about no Grammy. That's why I love this attitude in that song. He said, you, think I think, you think I give a damn about a Grammy? Half of you critics can't even stomach me, let alone stand me. I respected him for that. I'm like, wow. He's not even thinking about success. He's just like, look, if I'm not one of the best in this game – this shit don't mean nothing. A platinum status is whack if I ain't one of the baddest. And I agree with that. You know, if I'm not respected as an MC, even, even if you don't buy every album, like you said earlier, even if you don't buy a record of mine, if I don't get that respect, all I want is respect. I don't care if you buy the next Eminem record. <laughs> he wasn't even thinking like that. He said, if you don't like it, fine. That's great. Jay-Z was the same way. If you don't like it, then fine. What he said in that song, on to the next one, niggas want my old shit, buy my old albums. <laughs> on to the you next know, one. Jay-Z didn't care. I listen to lyrics, so pardon me if I was going overboard. But I'm, I'm such an oh, no, I, mean, I, I listen to things. That, I listen to things that people say when you get on the mic because you're making a statement. Every time you get to that microphone as an MC to spit something, you're making a statement. Period. So I tend to borrow from that when I'm trying to make a point. So <laughs> I mean, you, you, you give me jewels and you tell me some stuff. I mean, it, it even goes back to what we were saying um, to what we were saying earlier. But see, um, you know, I I, I think. In 2020, in the age of social media, it's like when you have an opinion, you have to kind of learn to mm-hmm. – you can challenge somebody's opinion, but it's all in how you say it, though. So 
Yeah, for me, absolutely. not for absolutely. me, not really. For, for me, not really rocking with Eminem. It's like, yeah, boy, I mean, he's talented, but I you know, rock with him. It was kind of the same thing with um with the Wu Tang. Now, I'm not really a Wu Tang fan, but again, I don't downplay okay, yeah. the legacy of because 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 I know that Wu is a movement. That entire thing is a movement. And my absolutely one of my best friends is is a huge Wu Tang fan. I mean, like I'm talking like we're new edition fans. So last year for his birthday, I took him to see uh, Ray and Ghost at the Fillmore in Silver Spring, and like I knew enough mm-hmm. to have fun, but um, you know, because you know they 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 played enough songs that I knew and I had, and I had fun. But end of the night, um, Ray and Ghost called up called up fans on stage and was like, "Yo, come up on stage. We want you to rap." Um, it bars from uh, Wu Tang Clan and then the with one of the guys. One of the guys came on stage. Was like looking at him. You would think he was a geeky white kid, and he he kind of was. You know, thick glasses, skinny jeans, looked like a nerd. Just you know, from you know first glance. But this cat got on mm-hmm. stage and bar for bar spit you guys' entire verse. So that lets me know it's like you know you can't you can't you can't really judge because hip hop is universal and just because it doesn't appeal to you doesn't mean that it's trash music it's, subje- it's, 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 it's subjective again going back to that word again it's subjective <laughs> you know what i mean it's subjective like i yeah, can't well, yeah. you know so, some people love keith murray i wasn't the biggest keith murray fan i'm like ah, he's okay but you know red man is red man's in my top five so it's like when you talk about death squad i'm like i'm only looking at him and eric sermon i'm not really looking at um at Keith Murray. I respect him, though. I have total respect for him, but I, I wasn't a Keith Murray fan at all. So it's like, for me, it, it's the same thing. You know, you don't, you, you're not the biggest Wu fan. That's okay. It doesn't have anything to do with, like, oh, because you don't like it, you don't know real hip-hop. It's, it's, it depends, again, it's subjective. It's what people like. Who am I to tell somebody what they're supposed to like? If people ask me for a recommendation, I'm going to give it. But if they just tell me what they like, why in the hell am I going to sit there and get into a debate or an argument with what they like. That's just stupid. Like, I don't, it's a waste of time. I'm like, if that's what they like, that's what the hell they like. You know, and that's why on yeah, my Robbie. page, if you notice on my page, I, I give freedom to that. I give freedom to people to express what they like because they respect the fact that when I post something on my page, <laughs> they know. If I don't like, if you, I'm not here to debate with anybody, but I don't like the song. Now, you can sit there. I did a thing about a few months ago called the top ten worst R&B songs ever recorded, and that was a field day. We had fun with that. And, of course, people was like, what? You don't like that song? You don't like um, I Belong to You by Rome? I'm like, no, I thought he was a crappy singer, and I thought the song was annoying. Now, guess what? For some of y'all out there, that's your jam. That's your shit. I, look, I get it. I get it. Same thing with Return of the Mac. I hate that fucking song, but I understand why y'all guys like it because the beat come on, which is Chucky Booker, by the way. The song comes on. You can't. The track is infectious, but dude couldn't sing to save his life, and that's my personal opinion. And his voice is annoying, so when it comes on in the club, I'm really <laughs> just laughing the whole time. I'm not bopping my head. I'm just laughing at his voice, and then people start looking at me. They know how much I hate that song. I'm like, it's comic relief for me. So, but again. That's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. So it's not like I'm sitting here making a motion to what's subjective. So, again, going back to what we've been saying throughout this whole interview, it's subjective. Everybody has a right to like what the fuck they like. I am – I don't – there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. I like what the fuck I like, just like you should like what the hell you like, period. I'm not going to sit there and get mad. 
<laughs> now, I'm not going to sit there and get mad about what you like. That sounds stupid as hell. If that's what you like, that's what you like. Now, I hope you're not expecting me to like it because if, if I don't like it, no. I just don't like it. But I can still be in a room and respect that part of the opinion being expressed about why you like so-and-so. And I'll even tell you up front, I'll be like, you know what? I wasn't into their music, but I totally respect what they do. I said, I, I like them for what they do. I wasn't into them, but I, I like what they do. And, that, and that's a real opinion. It's not a, oh, I, or you're a hater. I, I remember telling that when the, the subject of Chris Brown came up. I even, got into, I even got into it with family members over this shit, which was crazy and stupid at the same time, especially because I had people that worked with Chris Brown. And I made it very clear. I said, I never thought Chris Brown was the best singer, but he's an awesome dancer, awesome actor, and he's, to me he's a better actor than a singer. Awesome, dan- but awesome dancer. And the last few albums he put out, I actually love. I bought the, the last three albums he put out. I'm like, no, he's been doing some incredible stuff. I said, but in terms of when you think about singer-singers, I wouldn't put him in that category. And and people had a hard time accepting that shit. For some, they went crazy on me, like, oh, you didn't think you're a hater. You're, I'm like, really? No. I said, you and, didn't hear me yeah. just say that I like what he does <laughs> as a dancer just because I don't think he can sing. If you love the way he sings, then you, you post it on your page. This is my page. I'm going to say what the hell my opinion is and what I think. And because I'm in the industry and, I'm, and because I'm one of the most reputed singers in my field, there's a, a validity to my opinion. But that still doesn't change what you may feel. You may feel he's the best singer in the world. That's okay. That's great. I don't agree, but that's okay. It's okay for me to not agree. I'm not going to get into an argument or a debate about no. it. I think people used to get too much into their feelings when it came to that, especially when it came to guys like me because I guess they don't want to hear from me because I'm in, I'm in the business. It would be different if I was just an average fan and we had an argument, but they tend to get a little bit miffed because they just like, well, he's in the industry. But I always tell people, and to make, to make this my note on this, that my opinion is always going to be different because I'm not the average fan. Even though I am a consumer, but I'm not the average consumer. Why? I'm an artist with credibility in the game. So my, that's why people, I think that's why people value, value my opinion most times because I'm going to speak the truth and speak it from my angle, but they're going to base it off of, well, you know, law got credits in this business. You know what I'm saying? Law got some leverage here. You know, Law's worked with some of the best people in the business. He's been hired. He's saying, he's saying back up for Dion Ward, for Christ's sake. So it don't get no better than that. So as, if I'm going to ask a, a singing question to somebody, I'm going to ask Law. I've earned that respect. So I've earned the right to, to speak and have an opinion on certain things. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to always voice an opinion about everything that I hear. But if I feel strongly about it, I'll express it on my page. Again, people, some people will agree with me. Some people won't. That's just the roll of the dice, man, you know? Yeah, and like I keep saying, I mean, you're dropping, um, dropping jewels. And, I mean, what I'm learning from these interviews that I've been doing, just talking to artists and everything and talking to people, like, behind the scenes, a lot of the stuff that the consumer complains about, like, it's, it's a reason behind that. You know, there, there's, a, there's a reason why things are that way, and – as a consumer, it's like we really don't – we always don't get why it's that way. I mean, one of the things that I – like one of my biggest gripes for singers is um, when I go to a concert is doing a track show. And, I mean, that's, that's, that's like my <laughs> biggest pet peeve. It's when I go to a show, I don't see a fan, I get highly, highly agitated. But mm-hmm. when I interviewed Eric Roberson, Eric told me, he's like, look, dog, you know, a lot of times, man, it's money involved. 
and yeah. it's actually easier to do a track show than a live show. That being said, though, however, he was like, however, you can actually go in, pre-record the show, and still give the audience that live feel with the track show. Now, if you're singing to Absolutely. a CD, you know, it's like if if you're if you're singing to a CD and it's unprofessional, by all means, you know, you deserve to be dragged. But if you're out, you know, if you go in, say on a Monday, pre-record the show for the show on Saturday, by all mm-hmm. means, do that. So it's like that's, that's you know that's stuff to me that I'm learning. Like, yo, it's a reason behind that. You know, Chris Brown. I've seen Chris live numerous times, and I know mm-hmm. I know that Chris I know that Chris isn't singing live. I know this. No, but absolutely not. <laughs> everything, everything, everything he's doing on stage, from crumping to backflips and popping and locking splits and all that, he can't do that shit singing live. Like it's it, it's damn near impossible because there's so much energy. Mm, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's, there's so much energy going on that it might not come across and give you an A1 performance. That's why I was like, you know, because he's, cause he's a performer first, a vocalist second. And he's going to give you, like, the well, best that he can, you know, I mean, for yeah, me, like, he's going to give you the best stage show possible. And it's like, um, I, last time I saw Chris Paul was, I forget, I forget what tour it was, but it, it, it it was his last tour he did where he had a bunch of rappers open up for him. And, you know, when I saw him in D.C., uh, it was a lot of unsold seats. So they let us they, they let us move down to the floor. I mean, I, I was like third row, you know, so I saw everything mm-hmm. that was going on on stage. I'm like, yo, man, this boy, I, I, I had seen it before live, but never that close. And just seeing how he would, like, do the cues with his hand to the band and how he was mm-hmm. able to just, like, look around the stage and get – Get his uh, his pacing right, his steps right. That's why I was like, well, here here's the thing, bro. Here's the thing. You know, going back to my boy Eric Rob, that's my boy Eric Robinson. Like, here here's the thing, because he said it best, and I've always said this from the beginning of time. A track show is never bad if it's done correctly. If you have whack yep. sound and your transitions are weak and 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 things don't flow um, fluently with the equipment that you have. I'll give you a perfect example. We did a show about four years. It's a corporate show. About I'm going to say about what, four, like probably five years ago, four or five years ago. Um, it was us, um, my Element Music crew. It was Bruno Mars, and it was another group whose, whose name I'm not going to say. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I'll put it to you like this. They were the headliners of that night. Bruno came on, did his thing, of course, as always. <laughs> we came and did our thing, you know, as always. The group took two hours to come on stage. Once they came on stage, they had a band and they had a laptop running at the same time. The laptop gave out by the third song. They had a backup laptop. And I'm saying to myself, what's the sense in having a band or vice versa if this is how it's going to be? My thing is if you're going to go fluently, your band should already know everything that's on these damn tracks because if any with technic with technology anything can happen it's been proven time and time again teddy riley no shade <laughs> it can happen anything yeah. can happen so it's best bet for you to either have a, a very simplistic operation where it's just you doing strictly tracks where things are running or just have a band in my personal opinion a band gives you more 
of a diversity um, strength because now you can be able to go from back and forth and switch it up if you want to be. So I've always said, and I agree with Eric because people don't know, the financial part of it can be very tasking sometimes because, remember, you have to pay for flights and hotel rooms, and mm-hmm. then you're bringing in the guys that you play with. So sometimes what a lot of guys do is what Chuck Berry used to do. Chuck Berry would go to every town and find musicians to play with him that night. And it's, it's kind of an arrogant thing to think about because he is the king of rock and roll, him and Little Richard. So he expected musicians to know Johnny B. Good and no particular place to go, of course. You can't call yourself a guitar player or a rock and roll guitar player and you don't know any Chuck Berry songs. And you're right because it's nothing but fast blues. ain't nothing but the one, four, and the five. So, yeah. So people have that same mentality towards, you know, doing shows with that with that, with that way of thinking. So going back to Chris Brown, I'm going to say this respectfully. I do, if you see my clips, I, I'm known for dancing while singing. It can be done. This is just my personal opinion. I'm only speaking from yeah. my experience and from what people tell me. Everybody's different. Now, of course, nobody has ever sung while they backflip. That's a given. Nobody's going to sing while they backflip because everybody knows you ain't going to get the best vocal. But, however, I'm from the era of Prince, Michael Jackson, and the Jacksons. New Edition. I saw New Edition's show when there were no, um, when, when, they, when they didn't have cordless mics. You understand what I'm saying to you? There, were no, there, were no, there was nobody doing background vocals behind the curtain. There were no stems as we have now. There were no stems back then. Technology wasn't as advanced just yet. They were still high energy, stepping, and singing at the same time. Now, this is my personal opinion. Some people may be different, but since people love the way I perform, as you said, you said that you love the way I perform, so I'm telling you, put the work in. The whole point is that it's about stamina, breath control, keeping your body loose. Michael Jackson, up until the history tour, all of Michael Jackson's shows, with his brothers and without his brothers, go watch the victory tour. Go watch Prince in his prime years before, before Purple Rain and even after Purple Rain, which is better. He got better. Watch the Under Cherry Moon Parade Tour. Watch Prince in action, doing splits, jumping off the piano and still getting to the mic and not losing one, not one note was off. So don't tell me about that. That's, that's the way I feel about people who cheat the game. This is why I love Usher the way I do. Because Usher took the time to learn how to balance out the vocal part of who he was and got better at it along with the performance. That's the problem I had when people started calling so-and-so the the Michael Jackson of just, no, it ain't no such thing as anything of that. Now, you can say, if if you want to say that for this generation, I get it. I understand why you're saying it. But to me, there are certain things, if you're going to talk about titles, there are certain things you're going to have to prove, if that makes any sense. How can I compare him to a Michael if he can't even sing live for 20 minutes? How could I compare you? I go back to the Dangerous Bad, the Bad Tour, Michael Jackson. Michael was singing live. Go back and watch it. Singing live, drenching with sweat, and still moving, still spinning. Not one note was off. So, again... I have a diff- that's, that's my philosophy, and, 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 I back, and I'm backing it up with facts. So anybody listening to this interview right now, if they listen to it and they hear me, 
go back and watch those performers in their prime. Even better for you, Prince and Michael Jackson's father. You know who that is, James Brown, period. Yep. James Brown. You're talking about three shows a day. You know, if you, you know the history. James Brown did three, sometimes four shows. And what's one of his titles? The Hardest Working Man in Show Business. They didn't give it to him because he did a little bit of work. They give it to him because James Brown was that much of a damn machine, running his own record label, making sure he was getting his money up front before the show even started as a businessman. But once he hit that stage and the records were ten times faster on stage than they were on record. And James Brown was moving with the speed, velocity, vocals not giving out. Don't and this is a two or three hour show. Every night, damn near every night. So in my opinion, there are no excuses for any singer to be using a whole bunch of vocal stems because they don't have the energy or the stamina to do it themselves or for a rapper to be rhyming over his own lead vocal. That annoys the hell out of me. It annoys me. I'm like, that means, to me, you can't sing. I mean, I've seen singers on award shows singing with their lead vocal, and they still sound horrible. That's like failing, a, that's like failing an open book test. How you can't sing with your own lead vocal? It's bullshit. I, I, I don't, and I hate to be sound like overbearing about it, but I don't accept those kind of excuses anymore, bro. I don't accept it from any person that calls himself a singer and a performer. If you can't do a half an hour to an hour show with just your vocals and knowing how to perform and balance everything out, I don't respect it. That's why I don't get crazy about these people when they talk about, oh, they're dope on stage. I said that's, that remains to be seen. I'm very picky. I watch. You know, I'm like, eh, you know, and that's my opinion because I'm sitting there looking at it like, oh, he doesn't sound good on, on stage like he does on record. Hey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's just, you can't, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm true school because I hate when they be like, oh, the old school. I said, no, it ain't about no damn old school. It's about technique. See, the, bad, the worst thing that happened to the music industry is when they got rid of artist development. That's the problem, and that's been the problem for many years now because back then, Artists got developed before they hit the stage. When Boys to Men got signed, they didn't know how to dance, except for I think for Wanya was the only one that could dance a little bit. Michael Bivens locked them in a hotel room for a week and said, do not come out until y'all guys learn how to dance or have a sense of rhythm to where we can develop you more. And it's crazy because they did Motown Philly, and you know, for all intents and purposes, you could tell they were dancing, but they're not dancers, if that makes any sense. They were, they were doing yeah. the steps now, but it's just like, but they're not dancers. But at dancing. least they gave it a great attempt, and it didn't matter because we love Boyce Smith for their incredible voices and the fact that they give such life to songs. That's what makes Boyce to Men Boyce to Men. But that's a true story. Michael Bivens locked them in a room for them to get their performance level right. That's the reason why Boys to Men is still able to tour. They know how to give a show. They know how to step in sync with each other. So that's the world I come from. You got to be developed as an, as an artist, as a performer, to, to make somebody like me a believer. I just I, That's the school I come from. So I, that's what I represent. Yeah, and again, bro, like I said, to me, I mean, to me, you're not overbearing at all. This stuff is all jewels, all knowledge, and... Once again, you know, you're somebody that, that I highly respect as an artist and as a, um, 
music fan, so you know your stuff. And to me, it's not coming across as um, overbearing, condescending, arrogant. It's coming across as knowledge. Like, you know, you've seen this stuff firsthand. You know what's what. So, yeah, I mean, let's, uh, let's keep it moving. Got a few more uh, questions. So speaking mm-hmm. on R&B, as a musician, what is your response when you hear someone say R&B is dead? Um, going back to that S word, <laughs> subjective, but at the same time, I understood why I said, but here's my take on it. The biggest pet peeve for me, and I know fans mean well, I'm talking about people who love music in general, I always hate the statement, bring the real music back. Motherfucker, the real music is here. There, for, the, for the last 15 years, there have been many artists that have dropped incredible albums in the genre of R&B. But because of the system that we're a part of, they don't get the play that they're supposed to get. Like, perfect example, my incredible big sis, the incomparable Layla Hathaway. Let's talk about oh, yeah. that for one second. First and foremost... When I first saw Layla Hathaway, when she came out with her first album, it was already obvious. I looked at her face, I'm like, yep, that's Donnie's baby girl right there. I wanted to hear what she sounded like. And, of course, there's certain tonalities she had of her father's, but Layla had a thing that was her own, too. And I know how hard that was. That's why for a lot of years I, I like to believe that she didn't, you know, people wanted her to do her father's stuff so bad. You know what I mean? And I understood why she kind of not jaded it, because I'm pretty sure in a couple of shows she did it, but she didn't want to lean on that, and I think that was on purpose, because I think she wanted people to see her as the artist that she was in her own right, despite being part of an incredibly huge legacy of the greatest R&B singer of all time, and probably the most influential, in my opinion. That's who all the guys wanted to sound like. It was either Donnie, Stevie, or Marvin, those three, right there. In terms of richness, fullness of voice, certain bends, the texture, Donnie represent that, and and Layla got it honest. So here's the thing. The last four years, Layla finally got her Grammys that I felt that she should have gotten years ago, and the the most important one was for her version of her father's father's classic Little Ghetto Boy because when she did that song over, she sounds just like him. I'm like, it's scary, but in, in a good way, not in a bad way. And Layla got four Grammys in a row with my boy Snarky Puppy. And everybody's like, yeah, you know, Layla, Layla. And I'm looking at them like, y'all late to the party. I've been a Layla fan since 1990. Y'all late. That's, that's the way I looked at it, you know, because I've, <laughs> I've been a diehard fan of her and everything that she did vocally. So, but to see her getting the accolades and the love now, I still enjoyed it and loved it. And then after winning a Grammy for, with, to me, which is probably her best album in terms of the catalog, the, um, the Layla Hathaway Live album, which is number one on the Billboard and the whole other stuff, she puts out an album called Honestly, which is slightly different. It's still R&B, but she was doing more of the current thing that's, that was going on. But it was dope. It wasn't corny. It was dope to me. And the crazy part is that all these critics came out of nowhere. Well, she should be doing the soulful stuff. I want to hear the more organic stuff. Yeah, but my point is, is that Half of y'all wasn't even buying it until she got a Grammy. 
Speak on People it. were asking me, oh, Layla had a new album now? I'm like, y'all not really paying attention. I'm a real Layla fan. I'm like, really? Did you buy her last album? <laughs> now, I take it personally, not because we're close. I'm saying that more so because as an artist, because before me and her became tight with each other, I was already a fan already. So it's like, for me, you know, again, stop with that, bring the real music back. Layla and so many other artists, like classic artists and even new artists that are coming out with great albums. Look at Lettucey. Lettucey has an incredible body of work. Yeah. Have you bought it? You know what I mean? I've asked fans, have you bought it? Lionel, Lionel Richie's last three albums before he did this, this last live album, incredible stuff. I'm not being biased because me and Lionel Richie are close. I'm being real because these are great albums. You know, Dave Hollister had a great album out a few years ago. Yeah, Silk's yeah, right. last album was off the hook. Quiet Time. Quiet Storm. See quiet what I mean? Storm. Like, like those, those are my boys. So, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Quiet Storm. Yeah. Yeah, see what I'm saying? Like, these are great albums, and I know you own them, so you're like me. I don't just talk it. I support it. That's why my campaign I started a few years ago called um, Support or Shut Up, because I got tired of people talking about bringing the real music back, and I'm like, the real music is still here. We just have to support it. You know, stop yeah, being totally. lazy. Think that, I think, I think that every, we have to stop being lazy and thinking that everything is going to be played on the radio. And that's the problem I think that a lot of us black folks had in general because we weren't used to people. Like, we're so used to it being premiered on Lenny Green's show. And shout out to Lenny Green. I love Lenny Green. is one of the only few DJs that still play new stuff from the classic artists. You know, because everybody was running and, and trying to diss Stephanie Mills for what she said about the flight of R&B, you know, her infamous statement. But guess what? I'm saying to myself, they dissing Stephanie Mills. I'm sitting there like, did you buy Stephanie Mills' last project she put out some years ago? I have it. You understand what I'm saying to you? Because I support the OG, especially if the music is great. Peebo Bryson's last album was incredible. Jimmy Come on Cameron, now. Terry Lewis Come on now. Of it. Jeffrey, yeah. Osborne, oh, yeah. Jeffrey Osborne's last album was dope. I own this. I'm not just saying it because I'm, I got a platform that you give me. I'm saying it because these are my heroes, and when my heroes make great stuff, perfect example. I didn't like the last Key Sweat album, but the two albums before this last album, dope as hell. Dope as all hell. It's Key Sweat with new produce. It sounded amazing. My favorite song on that going, um, riding solo album was Genius Girl. That's, that's probably my top five Key Sweat songs, and that's one of his newer stuff. The last two SWV albums. My big sisters, the last three Shantae Moore albums. See what I'm saying? Like these, oh, yeah, you I'm gotta support you, it. You yeah, gotta support it. So that's 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 the whole thing with the R&B is dead thing that that bugs me about that. I understand why people say it because I know it's like the, it's the it's the cool thing to say because they're trying to say well it's not getting the attention anymore. But real R&B, whether old school or the new school, who's still doing it and staying true to the roots and the flavor of it, it'll never die. We just have to get up off our asses and get on the iTunes, get on the Spotify, and support these people. And then once this corona thing is over and we start doing shows again, I just tell my fans all the time after every show, when Al Green comes to town, go see Al. Go see Reverend Al. It's my top five. Because we don't know how long Al going to be here. Go see Al Green. Oh, yeah. You know? When the Barcades came in New York, which is rare, the Barcades is in my top five of funk bands. Larry Dotson, that's one of my vocal idols. That was his last tour with, with those guys. So my thing is that if you're going to go and 
and represent and support the support the legends who are still doing it with Midnight Star. My, my mother just did a show recently. She was on a cruise, and she said Midnight Star killed it. I don't expect nothing less because these are the OGs. They still they still making great music and still giving the best shows in captivity. So it's like stop with all this R and B is dead shit. I'm like no, it's still alive. We just have to support the ones who are still doing it. Earth and Fire, those are, those, those are my big uncles and my big bros. Every time they come to town, if I don't have a show, you better believe I'm going to go see them. Backstage pass or no backstage pass. I'm, I'm up in there. <laughs> see, I'm glad you said that, bro. I'm just saying and... more so it, it's, it's, it's real like that. I, I get tired of seeing these type of clips. And I'll be sitting there and I'll just watch fans post up on Facebook. I'm like, you didn't hear the last album Layla put out? You didn't hear that album? You didn't buy that one? You didn't know. Well, I didn't know. Well, you know, what you don't know, you need to try to find out. The Temptations still puts out records. The last um, three Temptations, the, the four probably from, from um, Phoenix Rising, Legacy, and Irresistible. Those are like my three favorites from the, from the later period of Temptations with mostly new members. There's some dope shit on that album. Eric Benet, Donnell Jones, and Joe wrote on that album. And let's go, let's speak of those three guys. <laughs> Consistency. I got all of Eric Benet's albums. I got all of Joe's albums. They've been nothing but consistent. These are great albums. But if the fans yeah, ain't supporting, the, the it guys. defeats the mission. It defeats the mission. So then we keep saying R&B is dead, but, what, but look at Joe's new album. How is R&B dead? I'm not understanding. Look at Eric Robeson. How is R&B dead? Yes, so I'd be, be like, miss me with that shit. My, my motto is support or shut up. That remains my motto forever. I'm tired of people talking about what's dead or what we can't do. What about what we can do? Especially now, because if you notice, thanks to Be Nice, the focus done shifted now. It's, it's back on classic music again. Thanks to these little concerts that Kwame's been giving. You know, thanks to these conversations that people are starting to have with each other on Instagram. You understand what I'm saying? Like, the, 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 um, the, the shift no is going back to real music. And I love what D-Nice is doing because D-Nice ain't just playing hits. He's playing album cuts, or stuff that I already knew about. Like, now I was like, that's just a slash song. I never heard that's just a slash song before. I'm like, well, <laughs> now Roz is one of my guitar heroes. So it's like... <laughs> I've been, I had, I had, I still had the vinyl of the We Are the Family album. So if you didn't know about that record, I don't know what to tell you. But D Nice already knew because D Nice is from my era. You know what I'm saying? Same thing with with New Kids on the Block. The last two albums, those guys, they're R and B pop music. To me, all that stuff can compete with anything that was on pop radio. If they're talking about the race thing, if they're talking about well, let's play this up against a Backstreet Boys song, or um, what's the other guy's name? What's this guy's name? Um, um. Charlie Proof, um, a lot of other like guys of that caliber. Jordan Knight got stuff like that on his solo album, but they won't play it because yeah. they're looking at Jordan Knight. Well, he's part of No Kids on the Block. Man, fuck all that. It's a dope and album. Up. Yeah. Play it. So it's almost yeah. like, it's the mentality that, that the industry continues to have. That's why I was so glad when, when New Kids on the Block decided to get on their own label because they have a fan base. You see how they're still touring? They're still selling out shows and tours because they now decided coming back we're not waiting for a record label to dictate what we should do or telling Raider what to play. And everything that they put out, the fan base, which includes myself because I'm a proud blockhead, we go out and support it. We buy it. 
Because it's dope, not because it's new kids on the block. It's because it's dope shit. And it just so happens that it's new kids on the block <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. – I, that, that's my take on it, bro. I, I, I can't. I hate that statement. I understand why people say it, but I have to so correct people often, and, this, and especially if they're not buying my records. Because if if nothing else on my album is is a whole lot of traditional and contemporary R and B in between all the hip hops and funk stuff that I have on both of my my first two albums. So so don't hit me with that R and B is dead shit. Support it. Support what you love. Support the people who are doing the real shit, and we won't have this problem, especially in the time is now. It's the perfect time to do it. So, yeah. All right. As you mentioned earlier, you've grown up pretty much musically your entire life. Now, without, think, without saying any names, just a short and simple answer, honestly, do you feel that 30 years ago, say 1990, a lot of artists that are popping right now wouldn't have made it in the music industry? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it depend. It depend. It, it all depends on what angle. Again, what angle you're looking at it from. But yes, but certain people now, nah, not at all. Because back then, as you know, you had to have something tangible and real for people to even look at you. Nowadays, it, it ain't the case. You can just look at you and be like, "Oh, he's hot." Can <laughs> notes all flat? <laughs> Song is ridiculous, yeah. but he's but he's hot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a double-edged um, it's 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 a double-edged it's a double-edged sword to me. I mean, talking to other interviews and other artists, they kind of broke it down, saying how it's different now because you know it's easier per se because you can just you can go out there and like right now, man, I could probably go on go on a keyboard, do a simple beat, call it the keyboard dance, go viral, and be making money. And just Absolutely. like 1990, yeah. If this, if this was 1990, I'd probably get clowned, but it's just that times, times change. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, artist development, how artists nowadays, they don't really know how to handle certain situations because that's kind of been taken, that's been, that's been cut away from the music industry. And I feel like it's one of those things that should come back is, you know, more A&R, more development just to get well, you... Well, more, more, more real A&Rs, because, you know, every, every, yeah. a lot of A&Rs wanted to be stars <laughs> and yeah, not do their job. You know, more, that's where the industry fell short at. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. well, even, even one of those things are worse, like now, just, you know, hear, hearing you talk and hearing, hearing you drop those tools, you would think that nowadays they would have somebody watching these artists on social media, like some of the stuff you post and everything, because it's like, that should be a thing that's where... It's certain stuff you can't say, and certain stuff you, you because can't that, every because, single. Well, that's because back then, and I say this again, back then you couldn't just say that you were the best. You had to prove it on all even cylinders because everybody's looking at you when you step on that stage or you go into the studio to make your next best record. So the thing is that it's we're in a generation now where you write. It's so easy. I had to prove it was so crazy because um, my, my, my incredible nephew, Young Sino, I'm on two tracks of his next coming project. He has a project out now called Contract. Yeah, make sure y'all go check that out. Um, it was so crazy because I spit a verse on one of his songs, and he played for some of his friends, and when he told me, he said, that's my uncle, actually. They were like, what? 
that's your uncle? He spit like that? And then they were so shocked and surprised. I'm like, see, y'all youngers don't know. A real MC can rip anything. I could jump on any one of y'all styles and, and impress y'all with it. Or if you're trying to come at me, I can jump on them. That's a, I'm a battle warrior. I can burn you with your own fucking style. That's part of my gift. That shit is easy to me. It's all that tripping up the words, you know, that ain't nothing. That's that's nursery rhyming to me because it's the basic part of rhyming. And to me, in my personal opinion, it's because 80% of the guys that rhyme like that, notice how I said 80%, there are some actually guys that do have the intelligence that put those sort of things together. But to me, a lot of them, they're not advanced in their reading comprehension, so that's all they can really do. They're not creative enough to articulate and come up with some things that make sense, and that's my opinion. But at the same time, on a production level, it's even more crazy because I got my Akai um, MPC 2000 right here, and I played a beat one time. They was they was very like, Lord, you made that beat? I sound like I could use that. I'm like, what you expect? That shit is easy to make. I can make a beat like that within two minutes. That ain't nothing. I'm a producer. I could do any style. I'm current. I'm beyond current. I could do that all. I could do that in my sleep all day. But when I do my stuff, I like to be more challenging because I believe in instrumentation. I believe in certain things. I don't now. I don't mind experimenting and doing different things. But ultimately, I'm not going to be something that I'm not. So even if I do a track like that and I mess around, and I get goofy with it, and I play with it, and it's hot. I'm just showing yo. I could do that style anytime I want. To. I could do a whole album like that right now as we speak. I could do a whole album like what's out there right now and it'll pop off. But that's too easy. That's not challenging for me. That's nothing. So I'll do it here and there. Like I said, on, on my nephew's album that's getting ready to come out this year, I did it on a couple of my boy Banger's albums on his mixtapes. I did a, a, a little bit of that style. And they loved it. They was like, damn, Lord can rhyme. I'm like, because I'm a real MC. A real MC could adapt to any beat. A lot of other, these rappers now, they can't do that. If I, if I do Warm It Up Kane, they couldn't rhyme to that beat. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't to run to that. I've seen it happen. That's too fast. I can't run to that beat. Then you ain't no real MC to me. A real MC <laughs> can rip anything. Practice. Don't be scared of the beat yep. because you can't think that fast. Train yourself. Train yourself. That's what being an MC is all about. You know, so that's, that's again, that's my take on it. Like, if you're not putting in that kind of a work, because nowadays it's so easy to put up an Instagram profile and brag about yourself. That's why, if you notice, I always post clips. Even in between all the braggadocious stuff and me saying what I do and who I am, what do I always put up? I put up the clips to show you why my DJ called me the most talented kid in the music business. It ain't just no moniker. He came up with it because he was like, well, you know, Law does all this stuff, and there's not too many people that can do what Law do. And in 2020, not, you know, to, to agree with him, but it's true. Ain't, ain't no, I don't see nobody doing what I'm doing. I have my own lane, and it's crazy when you think about it. You know, no platinum plaque just yet, but I got a platinum resume that will keep me working forever. That's bigger than a platinum plaque. There's people with platinum plaques right now, and they broke as hell. <laughs> see my point? <laughs> in yeah. people, people, are mad, people are mad famous, celebrity, a million followers, and they broke as hell sitting at home. No book shows. Wonder why. <laughs> wondering why see, there you go wondering why and, I, and I'm not clowning nobody I'm just being real because <laughs> your jig is up not, not, not that Spotify is getting rid of the, all the bot followers and all that type of shit as I've yep. heard recently it's funny to me and I'm just saying to myself you're going to see a lot of people disappear into the ground now I said because the funny thing about that is that how could you have 30 something 30,000 streams between got no shows 
and you only got four people mm-hmm. liking your post, somebody's lying out this motherfucker. Somebody's lying. There's no way in, it, it, doesn't ma- it doesn't add up. Or people ain't even talking about your music. So my thing is just that it's so easy to cheat these last 10 years, and, and then the record labels are four right for it. Oh, he got $50,000. We got we to work with him. We got to do stuff for him. He's going to go viral. And I'm sitting to myself, and then you're wondering why you don't hear from people that you heard from two years ago. Oh, where they at? The hype died the fuck down. That's what the hell happened. It got stale. It got corny. People finally realized, okay, this shit is over. I've been saying it. Don't be a one-trick pony. One-trick ponies don't last in this business unless you, unless you monopolize to a businessman. At least Waka Flocka Flame was able to admit it. I respect him for it. He said it. I was a whack-ass rapper. He said it in the interview. I was like, oh, you finally admit it? <laughs> but everybody else, when he <laughs> but was But he's still making there, money, though. He, he found another lane. Yeah, but that's, that's, my, that's my point. That's exactly my point. He turned into a businessman. I, can look, I got nothing but respect for that, bro. The fact that he admitted it and said that's why I turned over to business. He said that I knew that I was not a good rapper. But that's what makes it funny because when he was out there, labels were trying to find the next thing like him. They were trying to find something that was like him, and then they would let people that have real lyrics, he's like, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for that. You know what I mean? And it's like, mm, that's, that's fucking crazy. I'm like, y'all going to sit here and try to convince a real MC like me who can be commercial but also underground – that this is who I have to sound like to get the approval of kids? Hell no. I've got 13-year-old fans now. So what are you talking about? They love my music. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of the parents that bought my album, they were playing it during their workout stuff, and their kids came in like, Mom, who's that? Oh, that's Laura. I like that. Who's that? And they were actually, a lot, of, a lot of my female fans told me that their sons and their daughters now got my album. So what does that mean? It's proved my point, what I've been saying for years. Demographics don't mean shit. If you got great music and it's being promoted right and you're doing the hustle, people are going to buy and get into what you're doing, no matter how they found you. A lot of people found me through other mediums. They didn't find me through just my music. They found me because they saw a comment I made. They saw a picture of me with somebody who they liked. They said, hmm, I wonder what this guy does. That's cool. I don't mind that. It's people who we were trying to promote to and they wasn't feeling us. Now all of a sudden they see me in a picture with Lionel Richie. Now they want to be all chummy and all up in my fucking inbox. I got a problem with that. So that's the whole point of what I'm making. It's just almost like, you know, you have to stand firm in who you are as an artist and hope that people get it. You know what I mean? I've never tried to hope. My audience is my audience. I don't sit there and try to pretend like there's that all the flack about it. So I hear exactly what you're saying on that level, you know? Yep. All right. So another, it's going to be another tough question. So uh, let's, let's see what you come with. All right. So I want to talk some more about Prince. My biggest thing with Prince is, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a Prince fan, you know, to, to the fullest, but that man's slow jams and his ballads, that, that's my, my, of course. my stuff. Now, my favorite, mm-hmm. balance, my, my favorite balance, ballad performance of Prince is when he did Got a Broken Heart Again on the Vegas Live show. Mm-hmm. Killed uh-huh. it. Oh, what, yeah, yeah. What's, it. What is law considered to be the three essential Prince slow jams? Just... Give me three, three essential Prince slow jams. Oh, for you. Um, without question, um, "Do Me, Baby," um, "Beautiful Ones," and the third one, if you allow me, it's a tie between "Baby" off of the first album for you and "Damn You" off the symbol album. 
Yeah, you, the, you gave him the album tracks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm surprised you gave me through that. I thought you were going to give me some more. Yeah, man, Prince is um, whoosh. it's uh, it's one of those things too. You know, being in the UK, as, as, you know, as a DJ, what I would always mm-hmm. do is I would always um, whenever I made a mix CD, I throw a Prince cut on there. I'm like, because that man's catalog is just crazy thick, and you know, I would uh, throw on like you know the Adore, the Scandalous, the Insatiable, like the the commercial stuff, oh, you know, stuff too. people know, That's, but. If, 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 if you really gave me a top ten, that, those are in my top ten without question. But yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm also throwing, um, you know, I'd also hit him with the um, stuff from the Emancipation album, the cover of Oh Hell Yeah, La La Means I Love You, or you know, Let's Make a Baby, or even um, I Can't Make You oh, Love yeah, Me, or yeah. Sex in the Summer. So yeah, so yes, yeah, so the, 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 the most the most unlikely ballad is I Hate You because it's a song about you know Ooh. how he felt, but. But that thing, or Dark from the Come album, though, see, I could name so many because, again, yeah. these are all in my top ten inclusive Prince songs. Since I'm a diehard Prince student and fan, so are you. Like, our list is going to always be different from the average Prince fan. So it's kind of hard. You know, Prince and Stevie, those are my top two overall idols. Anytime we talk about ballads from any one of those guys, because to me, Stevie Wonder or Prince never made a bad ballad in my opinion. All their ballads are dope. Any time of day, as soon as the song starts off slow, my first instinct before the song even gets within five seconds, I'm already like, this going to be some shit. I know how Prince and Stevie Wonder think. They're going to they're gonna make sure this shit is going to be memorable. And I've never been disappointed when it came to them doing their, their slow songs or think or ballads of that contemporary. You know, Prince and Stevie Wonder are two names I ultimately trust, not just overall with just all their catalog, but especially when it comes to the ballads and the slow stuff. Musical biopics, my favorite film genre. If you could pick any artist on screen to portray, who would you pick and why? Um, good question. I would have to say Jackie Wilson. Because Jackie Wilson, I mean, now mind you, he's gotten his flowers. I mean, everybody pretty much knows. Michael Jackson's spin game comes from Jackie Wilson. Jackie Wilson had a very interesting career because, you know, he was very influential. You know, there were a lot of other stories about him that I won't get into, but things that I've heard that was pretty interesting. And when people talk about it, it's like, oh, wow, like this is what happened. So, I'm waiting to see who would be ballsy enough to actually make a movie talking about the life of Jackie Wilson because I think there were so many valuables that happened in addition to that without question that that one should that that should be spoken about in terms of that because even in the career that he had because theoretically you know people don't realize um Jackie Wilson's career he didn't have a very long career if you look at look at his stats. He had a long career. He had a career that was long enough, but he didn't have an extensive career. His last big hit was "Your Love Keeps Lifting Me Higher." That was the early '70s. Because after that, he was doing shows and stuff like that. And then once he went into that coma, that was it. You know. So um, I think he would be. I think he would make a great biopic if they do it right. If they tell the yeah, story for real, you know. Nobody's done Jackie's story yet. I don't. I don't think anybody's ever. No, like, hey, nobody Jackie, hasn't done like, it. Small, small in a movie. Yeah, and, no, and, no, you know, nobody's that's... done it yet. I mean, he's been, he's been, he's been portrayed. Here's the thing, but he's been, he's been portrayed in like three different movies already. But nobody's ever said, "Hey, we should do a story 
on Jackie Wilson because as far as influence, rock and roll influences are, but even though Jackie was on a different level, like I said, the kings of rock and roll are definitely Chuck Berry and Little Richard. But without question, if we're going for a third, Jackie Wilson would have to get mentioned because the stage personification of who he was in terms of his influence, Sam Cooke as well. Like these are the, these, to me, these are the early proprietors of rock and roll because as Little Richard always says, rock and roll ain't nothing but fast blues. That's R&B anyway, rhythm and blues. So it's all relative. So these are people who I would love to see movies portrayed of. But Jackie Wilson had a much more interesting story besides yeah. those other guys. So I, I would, plus Little Richard's already been done already. And Chuck, Chuck Berry has about four documentaries. So it's almost like <laughs> nobody's told the Jackie Wilson story yet. So that's, that's the one I would like to see. Yeah, and just um, and that's the question that that's the question that I always ask on my interviews. That's like my standard interview question is the biopic question. It's either um, who, you know, who would you want to play, or who would you want to see, and it's always a different answer. I mean, usually they they'll say um, Prince or they'll say um, somebody obscure or somebody that hasn't been done yet. But it's like yeah, Jackie Wilson is one that um needs a story tell because there's so much um that the public doesn't know. And there's so many angles that you could take and make a, you know, a valid story. Absolutely. Okay, is there any artist, mm-hmm. is there any artist you haven't met yet that you want to meet who's on your dream list? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I told you earlier, we were joking. I, I was saying to you that, you know, the, 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 the number one phrase I hate, Lord knows everybody. I'm like, no, I don't know everybody. I said, I think it appears that way because of my resume and my family and, and some of the stories that I could tell about people who I worked with and even people I didn't work with, but I had a great time with them or got a chance to spend some time with them. But there are a lot of artists I have yet to meet just yet. Um, number one on that list for me right now is Stevie Wonder. I haven't met him yet. And Dr. Cho, that's my second overall idol in general. So I haven't met him yet. Um, who else? Um, wow, haven't met RZA yet. <laughs> um, surprisingly. Yeah, surprisingly enough. Um, <laughs> eh, let me see who else. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of who else I didn't meet. I didn't meet people Bryson yet. Um, wow. Like I said, these are some great. These are some great questions you asked me because it like, gives me a chance to think a little bit more than I usually do. So I was like, who didn't I meet yet? Like, who didn't I get a chance to? to meet and, and, and kind of give my, my homage and stuff to. Um, that's all I can think of at the moment. Like, the Stevie one is definitely my top, simply because of the top people who influenced me. Because I done, I done met, I mean, I, I, get it, I didn't get a chance to meet Michael. I met the rest of the Jacksons, though. Like I said, I'm influenced by all six Jacksons. So I met them, had a couple of conversations with, with Jermaine and Jackie. Um, you know, I met Prince, you know, even though our time was brief. So it was like... <laughs> You know, so I would say Stevie Wonder um, is the last of that crop because me and Lionel Richie are already close. So, like, Stevie Wonder is the last person I'm waiting on. That's, like, the number one person I can think of right now who I met or who I didn't meet. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times um, people people forget that, um, you know, even though you're in the industry, you know, just anybody's in the industry, they're still fans and they're still, you know, fans of people. Absolutely. So like, when they meet somebody – you know, they might get like, you know, weak in the knees like they're like, you know, a little kid because it's been a an honor to want to meet that person for um for so long, somebody that inspired you. All right, so it's um it's a Saturday in New York and you happen to run into Barack and Michelle. They ask you to chop it up with them over a slice. 
what pizzeria would you, what, what pizzeria would you take them to? Oh, um, that's easy. I'll take them to the one. I, if they could travel that far, I, I would take them back to my hood in Brooklyn and take them right over to St. John's, which is the, the pizza shop that we used to eat from over there on St. John's. And, and my hood of Crown Heights is still there. I would take them to that because that's one of the three best pizza spots in Brooklyn. All right. Is there anything you want to add? Overall? <laughs> yes. And, 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 Anything you want to um, add for your fans out there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, much has already been said about me, whether it was through other people or through my own mouth, which I have no problem expressing, as they all know. But um, for the most part, I just want to thank them so much for supporting me, for believing in me, for trusting me, and for also loving me for me. And I think that's so important because I've always had self-love, but a lot of times when you have self-love for yourself, it can be viewed in so many different ways because it's usually viewed by people who are very insecure with themselves, people who are jealous of the talent and love that you're getting from other people. Um, you know, so, and I've always stood firm. I didn't, I didn't, I was not moved by what people thought about me because the way I saw it is like this. And, you know, my boy, little Sean said it best. You don't know somebody until you kick it with them and get to hear their story. So it's easy for a person to, you know, stupidly judge me off of a post without knowing me or knowing my history or knowing why am I saying what I'm saying. And I've always told people, you know, get to know me first. You, I mean, you'll learn certain things we go along if we talk, and even on a post sometimes, but don't assume something because most times I do things for fun. I like to test my audience Sometimes I like to fuck with my audience. That's me. I'm a Scorpio, so I'm I'm very. I have a very dark but still light, funny sense of humor. And the way I go about promoting my music and my talent is in a way that's very much in the tradition of of two of my boxing heroes, which is Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali. We would not be celebrating Muhammad Ali if he didn't think that he was the greatest himself. We call him that now, but when he was calling himself that. They wanted him to lose against Sonny Liston so bad. Oh, he just Ali just talks too much. He's always bragging about himself. I, I want I want Sonny Liston to knock him out. Shut that big mouth of him up. Even though he used to call him, it was what was his nickname? The Louisville Lip. And he said he said they they, they say I talk too much. They say I do. They said but I'm I'm backing up what I talk. And that's the attitude I took when I began to develop the marketing strategy for Planet Twelve. I'm just like listen, you know. My DJ came up with the moniker, I might as well walk in it. And I, I remember people feeling like, oh, you're the most talented? Really? What makes you more talented than everybody else? And notice how I always say, I'm not the only talented person on this earth. That's a dumb, I would never say that. That's stupid. There are certain things that people can do that I can't do. But here's the thing. In the realm of what I'm doing in my lane and the fact that you can't even put, you can compare certain artists with me, but at the same time, you're still going to find something that I do that they can't do. So I'm running with that moniker. Michael Jackson wouldn't be the king of pop if he didn't believe in himself. You know what I mean? So I take the same attitude. So the first thing for me is I saw people. Say it again. Go ahead. No, I was trying to finish the sentence. I was trying to get it out because I was just saying some more. So I'm, I was thanking the fans again, you know, for believing in me, loving my shenanigans, and loving me for me because that's so important. Like, they, my fans love me for me. 
unapologetically. And that's why I love them. I celebrate them. You notice every now and then I put up screenshots for any fan that puts up a post about how my music inspires them or a post that I put up inspired them to go work out, take better care of themselves, or more importantly, pursue their dreams because it's never too late and you're never too old to do anything if you put your mind and your heart and your spirit to it. And I'm living proof. They tried to shut me out for so many years. And every time I came back every year, they was like, he's just getting better. He still looked 25. They can't believe it. I, I don't do surgeries and all that stuff. It's because I keep God first. I'm true to myself, and I refuse to do sucker shit. And I think that's a lot of the reasons why a lot of my success that I've had so far, there's still so much more for me to accomplish. There's so much more I want to do. But as long as I have a solid fan base and people like yourselves that's giving me an opportunity to get on your platform and to express it and talk about these things and allow me to be me even on your platform without people like y'all and, and, and the rest of the fans, I wouldn't be able to do this. And going back to what I said, and this is my last statement on it, you know, I love the fact that y'all allow me to talk and speak my truth and to give some facts and even my own opinions. But the truth of the matter is that at the end of the day, it's all about the music because if my music wasn't good, if I didn't have the resume that I have, if, if, if my show clips weren't critically acclaimed or any of that, nobody would give a fuck about what I have to say. So, again, I thank you so much. And that's all I want to say. And where can fans find you on social media? Okay. Instagram, at Planet12Law. Twitter, at Planet12Law. And Facebook.com slash LawPlanet12. All right, folks. You just listened to my interview with the immeasurably talented Lawrence Royal. We had a lot of fun. I learned a lot, like I usually do in my interviews. I hope you guys enjoy listening. And as always, to quote the great legendary Maurice White, be ever wonderful, done has. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, this is Brock Obama. Uh, tune in next week for another episode of Reviews and Done uh, with your host, formerly known as uh, DJ Aftermath, uh, but still the slow jam king, DMV's own Derek Dunn.